Hello, and welcome to episode 138 of Relics of Ore. Joining me today are our hosts, uh, Evie, Rabin, and rejoining us again is uh, Opt, or Optimus Maleficus, from Twit Guild. Um, Evie, how are you doing this morning? I have my coffee. I am stoked. This patch was amazing. Let's do this! Alright, yeah, a, a swift turnaround from last week. Um, and speaking of last week, joining us was somebody who was uh, who we scheduled the podcast far too early to expect to to reasonably be on. Vrabin, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Always a pleasure to be here. And yes, I'm glad that you scheduled a little later this week than last week. <laughs> We're all glad that we scheduled it later this week. Um, and uh, joining us once again is Opt. How are you doing this morning, Opt? I'm doing great. Happy to be back. Um, I actually forgot to set an alarm this morning, but I woke up on time, so uh, so we're good. That's good. Yeah. Well, you know, East Coast is a little bit easier to make these podcast times, so... <laughs> um, oh, don't sell my ability to oversleep short. <laughs> well, you know, that's true. That's fair. <laughs> I, I'm only a few miles from the, like, time zone line thingy now, so, I mean, it could go either way for me now. It's it's tough. Um but without further ado, I'm just going to move us straight into Patch Adams because it's been an exciting patch week and we're going to talk for a really long time. So I'm just going to shuffle us right into that. They're squirrels. They're one of the most amiable creatures on the planet. Oh, no, they're not. On the list of hostile predators, they're right above the bottom, just above baby chicks and slugs. What could they possibly want? Your nuts? <laughs> Alright, well, it was the season finale, and boy, what a finale it was. Um, I guess we have to first give our uh, hats off, uh, golf clap to Evie for pretty much completely nailing his prediction for uh, what happens to the Pact. So, good job, Evie. Just the Pact? I was right about Cave. I was right about everything. Well, I mean, I guess that's true. That's true. Yeah, you pretty much nailed it. That's impressive. So, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, so I guess with this patch brought the the ability to complete our Luminescence set. Has anybody been working on that? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm chipping away at it slowly and steadily, trying not to get, like, too invested in it, because, like, there's the R- there's the RNG element with the, with the breach and the organ farming, and the coat boxes are also RNG. We'll talk, we'll talk about that more later. Um, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to that Ascended Armor choose box yeah. that you get for completing the collection. Yeah. I actually still have the boxes of Carpus armor sitting in my inventory because I don't know which set I want to go for first. Yeah, I did the same thing actually. I had I had all the choose boxes sitting in my bank, like lining them up one right after another, just for that for exactly that reason. I've been kind of chipping away on it on it as well, but I think I'm almost done. But you know, we, we're going to talk about RNG later, and people will probably hate me. So. <laughs> yeah, I um I actually had, was not super interested in it, but then when I found out that there was that Ascended Armor Choose box, I decided that I wanted to sort of get back into the swing of things and spend some serious time doing it. Yeah. So, um, Which is a way easier way to get Ascended Armor, because I played for like two months until, like hardcore for two months when I came back from break, until the beginning of December, and what I didn't, excuse me, what I did in those two months was get my Ascended Armor, and it kind of burned me out. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, it's uh, yeah, and so I, I actually have only been doing it for a couple days, but um, I've made pretty significant progress. Well, I mean, I've made decent progress for for the amount of time I've played, so um, that's good. Also, pro tip: uh, you can extract parts from the Mordrum bosses uh for the Vinewrath event. Yep. So, uh, I but you do have to use extractors. Uh, yep. we there was some debate over 
whether they were just random drops or you had to use extractors, but uh, but you do. Yeah, and um, so you now get a you get a, a buff on you from the breach that you can basically to prevent people from exploiting by running from boss to boss and getting multiple organs from a single breach. That buff does not affect Vinewrath. So if you have a like if you have a buff that only says you, you that says your extractors will attune to terrorgriffs, that doesn't affect the three Vinewrath bosses. Oh, that's good to know. Hmm. Okay. Gotcha. I was doing research for the show, uh, aka staying up too late. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Doing silver wastes, <laughs> and uh, I discovered that last night. Well, that's another good thing, though. I mean, if you want this armor set, now's the time because silver waste is more efficient to farm than ever with everything that goes on it now. Yeah. yeah. Especially after you've already killed Vinerath, you get another buff that gives you um, bonus magic find and more uh, crests. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely exciting. Yeah, I um, yeah, I like it. It's it's good. So yeah, it sounds like we're all sort of chipping away on it. Nobody's exactly quite quite there on the luminescent armor, but we're all we're all working towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, they added Mordrum weapons. Uh, looks like Opt wrote or posted a little bit about that. Um. Yeah, it seems like. It seems like these uh, these weapons have had kind of a kind of a lukewarm reception. Like they don't seem like they're they're a big favorite in the community, but I really like them. Um, I think that, like the staff in particular, with like the with like the three Mordrum tendrils, like with Venus flytrap things on the end of them, like biting at each other. I think that's really cool. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Kratkin on land uh, is the comparison people have been making. And uh, Kratkin is my first legendary for anybody who doesn't know that, so I'm maybe a little biased there. But I also got the also got the great sword for my warrior. It goes great with the Twilight Arbor heavy armor. And then I did a makeover of my thief, and we can talk we can talk about that. Maybe we can I'll make reference to that later when we go into spoilers. Oh um, yeah. And uh, I got but I got my thief the Mordrum short bow and daggers. Nice. Yeah. I they have are to at... wonder if the poor reception has more to do with um, the fact that it's from the Black Lion chest. That, rather, that could be rather than the actual weapons themselves, because people are getting a little bit tired of that. Yeah, it was the same thing with the packed weapons. When those new packed weapons came out, people were like, "Wait, the last set of packed weapons we got for killing Zy- we got token, we got for killing Zyten. Why can't it be that way for these ones?" Yeah, let me. Maybe I should. Maybe I should clarify why I was able to afford four Mordrum skins. Um, I had. I I was very lucky with my Black Lion chest recently, and I got a I got a full claim ticket and my tenth ticket scrap. So I had two full claim tickets when this patch came out, and then I also had some gems from uh, holiday gifts, so which I just converted I just converted some to gold, and then just straight up bought um, two of the skins off the trading post. Yeah, the the uh, gem to gold is usually if I want a if I want one that drops from this claim ticket system. Uh, most of the time they're under ten dollars worth of gems, so um, exactly to, to to convert to gold. So there yeah. have been several of those that I that that's just the way that I do it because I I refuse to open the open the things looking for scraps. So it's I'd much rather just buy it. So I mean that's at least it's at least nice that you can get them that way. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't like I don't like op- I don't like opening black lion chests, like buying gems to buy black lion keys to get ticket scraps. Like I've I've gotten burned doing that really badly. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's yeah. like gambling. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It is gambling. Um but uh anyway, lots of stuff to talk about. I guess there's some PvP stuff that I didn't read about. Evie, are you up on that? Um it's mostly just bug fixes and just general quality of life things. Um the biggest one is probably the Q bug fix where 
uh, people were actually leaving queue, but for some reason they would stay in queue in the background and it would drag them into matches. Oh. So that got fixed, thankfully. Um, then they sort of worked on matchmaking a bit more. From what I have heard and from my own experience, matchmaking is much better than it was before. You're much more likely to go against people your actual skill level. So that's always a plus, uh, both on the high end and low end of everything. Um, the winter season is finished. Everyone, if they haven't gotten their rewards, should get them very soon. I'm pretty sure everyone got them, though. Um, that's for top 5, top 20, and top 250. Um, and as far as different mechanics, now they've introduced where if one of your teammates deserts, it counts toward a desertion leaderboard rather than the actual leaderboard. Oh. Okay. So there's a lot less frustration <laughs> when people just randomly leave, which is always a good thing. Ooh. So there is a different uh, board for games with have deserts. That's what is that, is that what I'm understanding? Basically, yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's nice. That's, that's a good, good idea. idea. Yeah. Um, sort of related, but not entirely. There looks like there's going to be an upcoming balance uh, balance patch. Might is going to get nerfed a little bit. Uh, PVE confusion is getting buffed, and there's some profession-specific changes. Did anybody look over those in close detail? Um, as far as the might stuff goes, this has sort of been expected for a little while now, especially with how the meta is with uh, Celestial. Um, and the PVE Zerka meta. Well, yeah, but yeah. That's, that's really not going to change that. Um, confusion, I mean... I've been saying for the longest time that Confusion has needed a buff in PvE for a really long time, and it's really nice to see that they are finally doing something so intrinsically mechanical that it is different between PvP and PvE. Well, I'm going to be happy about that because my uh, my, my Mesmer, I've switched to using an Akandi Mesmer in Silver Wastes, mm-hmm. and now they're going to buff Confusion, and you can Mesmer can also throw out a Torment. It's going to be great. Yeah, and with Mesmer specifically, they've buffed how much confusion they can put out. Mm-hmm. And they're buffing Time Warp, they're reducing the cooldown from 210 to 180 seconds. Yay! Which Yay. is huge. Um, and they're giving just more support all around the Mesmers, which is really nice to see. Um, besides that, they're also introducing... Rune of Scavenging in PvP, which is more condition stuff. Um, Sigil of Torment, which is the AoE Torment Sigil, has a 50% chance to apply on a critical for 5 seconds, and it has a cooldown of 5 seconds, so if you're consistently critting, you're basically going to be doing AoE Torment all the time. And they're also bringing in Sentinel stats into PvP which has the potential to kind of shift the meta a little bit. I have a feeling that uh, Bunkers might be jumping on Sentinel. Which, uh, what stat pairing is that again? Um, Is it Vitality, Main, Power, Toughness? Yeah, Vitality, Main, Power, and then Toughness. Gotcha. Which would be more leaning towards Warrior Bunker, which really isn't a thing right now, but it could be. 
Gotcha. But, I mean, all in all, I think it's good changes, and I'm glad to see Mike come down, because I do think it'll do a little bit with the, uh, the Zerker meta. Yeah, I and mean... In PvE, it's not really going to destroy the Zerker meta, because the reason the Zerker meta exists in PvE is because of active defenses. It, yeah. it has nothing to do with, oh, you know, damage stats are too good. It's more of, we don't need defensive stats if you're not getting hit. Which people build? Yeah, but that's like 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 I said before. That is for the people that know where to stand, what to do. When you're in a dungeon and you have four other people that want to do what you do, Zerker's awesome. But if you're pugging and you're having fun, you're just playing the game and you're not planning out in your full Zerker gear, um, you're not going to be standing there. You're going to get hit, and you're not going to put that to its full potential. So I think this makes um, a hybrid like a, some Valkyrie armor in there something more attractive than actually, it already is. Actually, it nerfs hybrids more than it hurts um, actual Zerkers. The the stat set that is affected most by this change is actually Celestial. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, Might helps everybody roughly equally, but, so, I mean, the, the, the builds that aren't quite as much pure DPS are taking affected a larger percentage. Yeah, they're taking a larger percentage of their DPS as a hit. Um... If they were stacking might, I mean, if you weren't really stacking might, or you weren't doing that high level PVE where people are stacking might anyway, then it's literally making no difference for you. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's so ubiquitous, it's so it's so powerful that you know, I mean, it's it, it was kind of coming. Yeah, I yeah, I think it doesn't really surprise anybody. But at the same time, yeah. the amount that they're nerfing it is. I mean, it's substantial, but it's not. It's not world ending. You 30, know I mean? Thirty-five it's, points of might per it, stack to thirty points. Yeah, to I, me, it looks more like, oh, we're doing this because we have stuff coming down the line and we're preparing for it. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but uh, anyway, that's sort of some of the mechanical stuff from this patch. Let's talk about the actual story. Um, the actual story chapters of the or not chapters uh, but the story on. instances hold oh, on there's one thing i have to say because there's celebration in order thieves are actually getting buffed wow it's happening Doo-doo-doo. okay continue too well, bad spirit's what... not here to you know you guys can dance <laughs> that's true that's okay she's sleeping right now she uh she's now on she's the bottom half of the world D dead D dead yep but uh, yeah, so so let's talk about the story instances that we got this patch. I thought they were all pretty pretty strong. Um, oh my god, with... the nostalgia! Oh my god, it was amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're talking about that first instance now, where you go to the priory and you do the rites of ascension. Uh, if, yeah. If any if any listeners out there didn't play Guild Wars One, uh, this this instance was a huge callback to what happened in. Th- three slash four of the missions uh, in sort of the last third of the game where your character has to go... Of the original campaign, which we call Prophecies nowadays. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Of Prophecies. Yeah, where you go to these different places and you, you, you know, you, you gain ascension and you go through these big, big long tests. I thought that was really interesting because... He's, he said, how many times did, uh, did Stone Healer tell you before it happened, you aren't going to ascend, you aren't going to ascend, but then when you're doing it, like, this is just like ascension. Yeah, well, I think the idea is that you're not, um, how would I describe it? You're not actually, like, attaining that status, but you're going through the same rituals and rites so that, mm-hmm. like, you'll, 
you'll sort of have the like magical technicality checklist checked off. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it was definitely it was the exact ascension ritual, you know, that we went through in in prophecies, which was yeah, just, the exact like miniaturized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was awesome. Like it was it was really fun. Um, and we didn't have the forgotten, but hey, well, that's true. But uh, you know, that's just because we didn't do it out in the desert. So that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that instance. Did it, does anybody have any like specific specific things they want to call out about it? It was just a nostalgia trip all around, really. Like, it was um, well done. I love that they actually brought back the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now it's voice, too, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And I was glad that that was... I mean, I don't remember... In Prophecies, did we we had that ghostly hero, but it wasn't ever stated that it was Tariosa. But this time it was actually Tariosa, which I thought was cool, or Echo of Osa. Yeah. Yeah, it was and explicitly... He, and he had, uh, in his... Uh... In his nameplate, uh, his title was Ghostly Hero, which was, uh, that was, that was a nice little touch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, I, at the end, I loved that. I actually missed this my first time through, um, talking to the, talking, or investigating, rather, I always say talking to, the, uh, mirror at the end of the instance, and you fight. That was creepy. You fight your doppelganger, which, uh, was, again, straight out of Guild Wars 1 Ascension Ritual in Prophecies, uh, yeah. is you had to fight your doppelganger before you ascended. Yeah. So, I loved that. I thought that was, I thought that was a really cool, um, a, a really great touch. Yeah. The, the Necro Doppelganger is a jerk. She, <laughs> she has, like, she does, uh, Dagger 2, which is the life transfer skill, except it does, like, ten times more damage than your life transfer does. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like your original doppelganger. Yeah, I remember, but, I mean, I loved I loved the original doppelganger fight because they had your exact build and they just had better stats than you, and mm-hmm. so it like it it turned that whole concept of build wars up to eleven because like the most efficient ways to beat it was to either play a build that the computer wasn't clever enough to play or to make a build that was so bad that the computer would use it and handicap itself by actually using your skills. <laughs> like, oh, And then you'd auto-attack it. Yeah, or, I mean, because I was just going to say, you said that the Necro one was a jerk. It was so funny because Necro was one of the easiest ones to beat in Prophecies because all mm-hmm. you had to do was load up on life sack skills that didn't do damage that were like party support and just, it just killed themselves. Yeah. I would always just switch to Mesmer Secondary and then put uh, Empathy and Backfire on my bar and then just cast those and then just let the let the doppelganger auto attack itself to death. Oh yeah, exa- yeah. I mean, great. It was it was a really fun um, back in Guild Wars One. It was a really fun challenge, and it's not quite it's not quite I, like that in this one. But mm-hmm. See, I think the that, first what, time I did it, I did it on my Ellie, and all I did was took everything off my bar except Flare, and that's it. I just <laughs> spammed it. What were you can you say, do Brad? some rear? Can you do some rearranging of your skills? Like if you put them in a weird order, it would get confused to you, even if you had a valid set. And then you could use your skills better because it would do it like one, two, three, or something. I don't remember if that's true or not. It seems like I did something like that to beat it once. There's probably some prioritization based on the based on the position in the skill bar, but uh, yeah. Anyway, that's it. That's just a big old bundle of nostalgia. But I it was fantastic story instance and i love every time that we get to go in the priory uh yeah. secret basement as it were i'm just disappointed that there's not more to read i mean there's so much there and the little bit that you get to touch and read it's like oh this isn't enough yeah um was this the first time that we could find the ark of the covenant 
Oh, uh, no, that was in, uh, that was in, the, that was in the last time, too. You can, you can find it the last time, too. Five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I hadn't actually seen it before. I thought that was a really, a really cute touch. I thought that was oh, really it, funny. You know what it was? It didn't have any interact text in episode five. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Oh, There's I always also... been great Indiana Jones references in Guild Wars. Remember in Guild Wars 1, in a dungeon, your character says, Drakes, why does it have to be Drakes? <laughs> yeah, we were actually just running Fractals uh, earlier this weekend, or earlier this week, and, and uh, observed the Indiana Jones skeletal uh, remains in the lava fractal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, which is also the fractal with the boulder corridor. That's right. <laughs> yep. Um... Oh, there's. Oh, I also I also loved the uh, call out to the the continuation of the bloodstone food uh, for the challenge yes. mode. Yeah, ascended cooking. It's gonna be a thing. Just it'll all taste terrible. It all handicap you. It's for challenge yeah. mode. You have to you have to have ascended cooking materials to do challenge like hard mode. That's how they implement hard mode missions, guys. At least it'll be a way to get rid of some of that bloodstone dust. I mean, it'll give you three hundred percent magic fine, but it debuffs you. Like real bad. Thanks well, that would just be that would just be what why they got rid of magic find or reimplemented it because then everyone would be handicapped hmm. for their own gain. So I don't think they'd do that. But yeah, speaking of bloodstone dust, actually, just as a tangent, thanks to Madri, I'm actually out of extra bloodstone dust. Yeah, speaking of Madri, I decided on my same kick of going through, um, going through the the silver waste farming that I was just going to power through Madri because I didn't actually get around to doing it before and holy moly that thing is expensive. Yeah. Kind of wishing I just decided not to, but I'm too I'm too deep now. I'm too far in. What what seems to be the pain po- the specific pain points price-wise? Oh, I mean, just it's it's the type of thing where a lot of the things you could be gathering them if you were doing intense gra- gathering and crafting mm-hmm. and stuff, but it's just that there's there's still the opportunity cost. Like if if I had to buy them for that much money, then I could have sold them for that much money or roughly. Um, right. So I mean, you know the the Foxfire clusters have gone down a lot in price, I believe, from where they used to be. Like the that part's not too bad, but they some, were well over a gold on day one. Yeah, exactly. Which is yeah. why I didn't do it. I looked at the requirements and I just said f that. So now they're they're about twenty silver. So they're about well, a fifth the price. But it's still a good way to farm. I mean, kind of, kind of pro tip: if you park a character at one of those uh, spots in ore where there's all those uh, elder saplings, and just log in, get those. You get lots of wood, and usually get two or three. Well, I do get two or three foxfire clusters from it. Y- yeah, but here's the thing: your RNG is like freaking amazing. I mean. You started playing a game, I can't remember what it was, it was Warframe, and we did a mission, and you got a rare mod drop that wasn't even supposed to come from that planet. Well, that's what you thought. No, it was a bug that they fixed two days later. Oh. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah, no, it, uh, I I don't remember, some of the, some of the things that you have to craft in the Madri recipe... Um, that I was just lazy and just bought off the trading post were... Oh, like uh, the, gr- the grow lamp and the heat stone and those things? Yeah, those types of things that are going for like 20 gold or so. Uh, and the foods, you know, the food, the piquant plant food and the whatever plant food mm-hmm. um, Yeah, those are, those are way cheaper if you make them yourself. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, but it's on the daily cooldown. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so... But where yeah. you... The big cost savings with Madri is if you if you play Fractals and you want an infused back piece, the recipe to infuse it is very cheap. 
You know, it's not like the fractal capacitor. It's like, oh, 250 ecto. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's, that is going to be nice, uh, getting that. So, yeah, I, um, anyway, interesting, but, um, I'm just, I'm just, I like that we have two methods for throwing away excess ascended materials, and I'm interested to see if and when we get one for disposing of Dragonite. Yes, please. Yeah. So what's not, the second method? Uh, it came from Winter's Day, actually. There's uh, one from for uh, getting rid of Imperial, Imperial Fragments. Oh, I, I haven't been playing, so I didn't know about that. <clears throat> yeah, it was actually really easy to get, and it has, uh, basically everybody pretty much agrees that it has better drop rates than Madri, oh. probably because it's a little bit harder to get Imperial Fragments now, than it is to stack up Bloodstone Dust. Is it dust. still available to get, or is it exclusively Winter's Day only? I think it, it might be. be. It was the Winter's Day, like, um, help the orphans storyline. Uh-huh. Which so is kind I, of a shame. Yeah. Yeah, they made a a couple of weird things. I think they did with Winter's Day this year was they um like they tied the Imperial Fragment Gobbler, the Star of Gratitude, to Winter's Day content, and then they also tied Exotic Level Aqua Breathers to Winter's Day. So you like you can't get them unless you did that content and got your Winter's Day gift uh, tree. That is kind of odd. But that, then again, underwater content clearly not a priority mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's the we talked about it last episode on relics, but uh, it's the continuation of the Deer Commander uh, yeah. <laughs> set of oh, set of boy. goals, which I just love the name of. But uh, anyway, let's uh, let's let's rein it back in and move back to the second instance. Um, although I actually don't have too much to say about the second instance. Did either of you guys, or any of any of you three rather? Um, I just had a, I just had a general comment that I uh, I liked Traherne this season. I thought he was. I thought he was better, and I thought that his his character has developed in such a way that he's actually he sounds like and he behaves like a military commander instead of you know how he was in the personal personal story where he was. I don't think I can do this. Yeah, where he was steal, where he was stealing your glory and, and and like being insecure about it. Yeah, um, yeah, he's 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 definitely written a lot better in in this one than um, you know than or in this in this this whole season. Yeah, I, I definitely completely agree with that. Um, I yeah, mean, he, yeah, you're right. he seems more. His character seems more rooted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He does seem more rooted, but he also they also really addressed what a lot of players were feeling, which is sort of the Cormier effect of you know the player's the one that's doing all of the really important work, and then the um you know the the npc just sort of grabs all the credit even though when you fight with them in instances they're kind of useless so yeah. you know they've they've made a much better they've done a much better job of him sort of um l- asking for your advice as an expert on things that he's not involved in that's i think that's a much better way of doing that like yeah. you're you're still not the leader of the pact that is his job but you're also not doing all of the grunt work for the pact you're doing the you're the vanguard for the pact you're the one that's going out there and finding out what these threats are and so he's deferring to your judgment and taking your taking your input and you know he's he's being deferential to your expertise, and then he's going and doing his thing, which just yeah. it just feels a lot more natural. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I hats off to the to the writing team. You guys have done a great job with Traherne this season. Um. Yeah. The only thing that was weird this season, I thought, was when you first talk to him, and it's almost like an it's like anus words, not his, and he's like apologizing for how he acted in you know the road to Or. Yeah. 
Um, that, that was kind of, you know, not in character to me. I thought it was odd. And I think, you know, it'd been better put, you know, on the website instead of in Traherne's dialogue, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the mission was, yeah, it was fun. Uh, the challenge, the challenge achievements. This is the first time I've started doing challenge achievements. I've been meaning to go back and do those on the other, on the other episodes. Um, the challenge achievements were not too bad on these first two instances. Um, one of them, the the priory one, definitely. I don't know if it absolutely needs partners for the one that requires it to be done in eight minutes, but it almost does. And yeah. but uh, the second one was was quite quite soloable. In fact, I've heard reports from several people in Twit that it's actually easier to do with only one or two people because the mob spawn rate goes up so much that it becomes actually really hard to do the achievements specifically. Um. So, anyway, but, uh, yeah, let's just, uh, shuffle it on into the last and most exciting instance of the story. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah, who wants to start with that? I mean, let's, let's start with the, the story portion and then we'll move into the boss fight because I think we have a lot of stuff to say about both. Silvario well, your dragon minions. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who can even claim credit for that one. I mean, that one's Fear Theory's been floating that around was, forever. That's oh, been yeah. around since before the game even came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I think it's yeah. I, I think it's something that most of us um were were pretty sure was true. You know, it uh, and a lot of people didn't want it to be true. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, see, well the th- oh, go ahead. Yeah, like it the, the this it's it was kicked around as a fan theory that like made sense but didn't have like hard evidence for a long time and now it's out there. I mean, I feel like the the biggest maybe not quite evidence, but the the most important or one of the most important links was in that that um carryover story and I wish I had looked it up before the show, but that they they wrote that big article of sort of what happened in the world over the 250 years and like sort of what happened immediately after the Guild Wars 1 stuff and they talked about the origin of the pale tree that um I I can't remember whether it was Ronan or Ventari. It was uh, both of them, wasn't it? Well, fa- found the egg first. Ah yeah. Or found Ronin, the seed first. Ronan found it and planted it. Ventari kind of nurtured it yeah yeah um yeah so that like ronan found this this cave of these weird magical seeds and that there was more than one and they were guarded by horrible weird plant monsters and he stole one and the pale tree grew from it like the idea that there was more than one and they were guarded by these horrible monsters and that the influence of Ventari and Ronin through the tablet and through their nurturing shaped the tree was very clear because they, I mean, they talk about it all the time as Silvari is, you know, Ventari's tablet and his teachings. And, you know, it's very clearly been influenced by their upbringing. And so to me, it was a very natural extension to say like, Oh, it would make clear sense that these were supposed to be the dragon minions and that they have altered the plan. Um, You know, that they have, they have, given it protection and and changed the purpose of the of the pale tree and that there are probably other ones out there you know that that didn't have that and are you know going to be full on minions um and then when we also got confirmation that glint used to be a dragon minion and sort of emancipated herself uh um, well the the forgotten did that for her I think. yeah or well sure right yeah so but but the point is 
the idea that a dragon minion can be emancipated yes. and a, a free thinking entity. It's and it's becoming a theme with influence. I mean, even we're talking about Madri. I mean, it says on the tooltip, you know, it's an evil plant, but with the influence of a hero of Tyria. Yeah. 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 So, um, so it doesn't, I know that it rubs some people the wrong way that, you know, Silvari were sort of pre predained to be dragon minions, but it doesn't really bother me because it's very obvious that, you know, some or even many Silvari are going to be able to resist this call and, you know, remain heroes of Tyria that and not what, just player characters. That is what is really interesting to me, and I really want to know what's, what's the separation. And I'd say the only one we can say besides our player characters, because, you know, we know our player characters aren't going to be hijacked, for sure that, you know, is uh, not a Mordrog minion is probably Kanok. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's I, fair to also assume probably case. assume that Traherne, I think, like, most of yeah, the named... Too. Yeah, I think I most of the names Silvari. Well, maybe not. I don't. I think it's more clear for Kanok than Traherne, but I really hope it'd be bad if Traherne went full on more drama. Mm-hmm. I think. I think it. I think it'll create in stories to come. It'll. It would create more drama if people distrust. If Traherne was still like good, but nobody trusted him. Yeah. Yeah. It would. Oh, yeah. It'd also be kind of that too- direction. Go ahead, Evie. Sorry. I'm. S- it's definitely going in that direction with all the Silvari. Yeah, with what Ritlock says in the cutscene. Mm-hmm. And what cannot? Yeah, I mean the yeah we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves because this cutscene has great speculation. But overall, I thought the reveal was like kind of obvious, nice to have, but nice to have official confirmation. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay with the idea that in like the original intention was for all. I say us because I play lots of Silvari for us to be dragon I play too. and that we aren't necess- Like we don't have to be right. Well, that's uh, another thing. I, I've got a lot of headcanon, if uh, you guys know, Shongugo and I go crazy with that stuff. And mm-hmm. I like that, you know, now there's something in the story that I can work with to affect. Because even though I imagine that my player characters that are Savari aren't now Mordorov means, I imagine that there's definitely no, there's no, uh, there's some cost to that, to fighting it. And some of them, you know, it took a terrible toll on them. Uh, yeah, it, um, yeah, it's... It's very interesting, and I I'm really interested to to know. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna save this till later. There's so much to talk about for for later. But so one other thing that I like about this though is this kind of adds some credence to my theory that I proposed. I don't know some episodes back that all life on Tyria stems from dragon minions at some point. Mm. I was actually right. talking about that with Chungku last night, and like the idea is kind of getting there, but we know for sure that there are races that, like, sort of don't have anything to do with dragons. Yeah, like the humans were created by the gods, weren't they? Well, well the humans are the yeah, aliens. They're brought from the world. So, yes, they're, they're Tyrion. But, yeah. since a, a race can be born of the dragons, as we've seen, I imagine that, you know, if these dragons are just magical sponges, and, you know, their minions are, you know, collecting it throughout Tyria. And, you know, they're getting better and better at it because they're, you know, evolving intelligence and so on. One day they break free and, you know, it just kind of cycles into what it is now. Yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible. Um, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about. Um, I, I kind of wonder... This is something that's purely headcanon of my own. I kind of have wondered if there is a... Uh, sort of a causal link between the dragon's awakening and the the gods, uh, the human gods leaving Tyria. Um, well, I hope so. For well, like perhaps for fear of becoming corrupted, or um, 
just in, like who knows i mean perhaps they perhaps they were afraid of the damage that they could do you know to the planet if they got involved in things or i kind of think if the gods are you know more evolved you know conscious dragons from another planet another place what if they're afraid of these things because it's kind of like you know they're the same thing except the god is you know the intelligent thinking um uh, human and the dragon is kind of like a bear and they don't want to meet a bear in the woods (laughs) (laughs) yeah since we're on the topic of headcanon i this also ties into silvari I believe that the reason why we are even able to fight the dragons right now is because humans, which are an outside entity as far as the ecosystem or whatever of Tyria is concerned, are there. Like, it's hinted at, particularly with Zaitan, that humans are at least mentally able to fight the corruption of dragons. Because even when a human is risen and they're sort of doing the bidding of Zaiten, a bit of their personality is still there. You don't really see that with the other races. They're just kind of zombie. That's true. And the Silvari, or at least the Pale Tree Silvari, were, or the Pale Tree was planted on top of human corpses. So I think that there's some influence there, and that's how the ability to fight off Mordermoth sort of is there. Hmm. I like that. But we do know that uh, the Mersat and the Seers and the Dwarves um, you know, fought the dragons the last time they showed up, and there were no humans there. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well. Yeah, but we don't know exactly how successful they were. I mean, the Seers are practically gone... Dwarves, I mean... Well, the dwarves lasted for a long time. I mean, the dwarves basically went out of... Like, the dwarves basically went extinct during Prophecies, which was long after the dragon fight. You're right, but the way that the dragons are presented by dwarves leads me to believe that they weren't really fully established as a civilization the last time dragons were around. That's fair, that, that makes sense. Yeah, um... Yeah, anyway, but uh, getting back to the instance, there was yes. one thing that, I don't know exactly if it bugged me, but I thought it was a little bit funny, was when sta- when, Kaith- when Kaith made the decision to stab, um, oh gosh, when? I'm forgetting it, when, yes, yeah. uh, I was just like, you know, Kaith, if you come to the conclusion that, uh, that your girlfriend here is kind of crazy and kind of not really being a good guy, there is another option, as in <laughs> you could probably fight your way out of this cave together. Like, you don't have to just leave her here to be tortured. Like, you, you, you don't have to kill her and you don't have to leave her to be tortured. You could try escaping. Like, just saying, Kate. I, I agree. <laughs> but to be, be devil's advocate, what, we're all for friends still outside and she's gonna fight them too. That's true. I know. It's true. It just, it was kind of, I thought it was kind of funny. It was just like, hmm. Yeah. Well, you do have a point, and I sort of agree. We also have to take into consideration that at this point, the Silvari are basically children. They're it's very true. naive. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I, I can break in here too. Um, I, I would, uh, so obviously, like, Kate and Fallon were still together at, the, at when that took place, and Kate isn't just going to turn on a dime and stab her girlfriend. And the other thing is, I would I would assume that Fallon, like if like if, if that was not considered an option, then that perhaps Fallon is power would be powerful enough to kill both of them. 
Yeah, that's yeah. That part's a little bit unknown. What their power differential is. Um, yeah, and I mean, I know obviously it's not you know <laughs> saying like why don't you just kill your girlfriend is uh a little bit ridiculous. But at the same time, if you've been convinced that your girlfriend is so evil that she's gonna torture the information out of somebody and then ruin your entire race, like, <laughs> like yeah, I feel like you're. I feel like you may have uh hit cr- crossed a bridge there on on uh. <laughs> how you're going to treat your relationship. I kind of feel like this patch, yeah, that specific story instance you're talking about, and then the last patch, it's like, wait, did did Shiro Tagachi, you know, rise from hell and possess Cave? Stabity, stabity, you know, kill people that... (laughs) Stabity, stabity, boom, boom. Well, yeah. You know, it it made a lot more sense in the previous instance, and she even even mentioned that, which I love, um, that she thought that the centaurs attacked Fallon and that she was just defending herself. And that basically they had proven themselves untrustworthy, and so she had to, you know, defend herself with prejudice, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that but Wynn, Kate doesn't have the fortune teller excuse, right? And then, and that Win, you know, said no. You know, Cal- Fallon struck first, like, and which. And I- Oh, just, to, just, to, just to touch on that quickly, I really like that if you're if if it's your instance for in that if yeah if you're the instance owner there and you're talk you're talking to the centaur in the hut, you you don't actually see like Fallon strike first and then you know and then you know fake like scream out in in pain or whatever she did. Uh, you you have to you have to be accompanying somebody else on their on their instance in order for you to see that. So I I think it's cool that that's kind of like hidden away. And that you, if you're just doing it by yourself, you don't, you, you, the player actually doesn't know that Fallon struck first. Yeah, which I love. I love that they put that in too. The, the like, ow, like you hurt me. And then, like, you know, like, <laughs> it's, it's very, I mean, you know, like we said, they're, they're essentially children. And that's, it's yeah. not exactly a childlike thing to do, but it's a very, um, yeah, I love that. So I, I like that they touched upon that, you know, that Kate was not exactly innocent in the previous instance, but that at the same time she was, she she thought she was defending herself and and others even yeah, though she, she was, was mistaken. Misled. Yeah, exactly. Um anyway, but uh let's let's just move right on into the boss fight because I think we all agree that it was awesome. Yeah, it was. Um yeah. Rabin wanted to touch on something that is not just true for the boss fight but for the whole instance. Why don't you go ahead and talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, it is nothing. This this patch, the story, it was like it's as if, you know, Arena, if I'm going to make an analogy, if Arena was a restaurant and we keep going there, we're just getting crumbs. And this story was actually something we could digest. It was it was good. And it just felt like we, we made some progress finally, which has been we've been so wanting. But the thing that really hit me when you walked into the Golden City or the entrance of the Golden City, wherever it was, was the, the new music and the sound. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, we've got something that is original to Guild Wars 2 because all this Guild Wars 1 music in Guild Wars 2 is like messing with my nostalgia since the beginning. So that's what I had to say. A large part of that, I would have to imagine, is that they're now making music in-house. Yep. Yeah. But I appreciate that. I mean, it really hit me. And More than seeing the sparkling goals, he's like, wow. And, and it has its own music. And let me tell you, the new music, I think, is better. Cool. It's been really good. Yeah. It, uh... Yeah. Anyway. But, uh... Yeah. I, I just thought... I, I thought that bore mentioning, even though it was a little bit hard to, to sort of fit into the discussion, because we don't usually talk about sound design too much. But, uh... Yeah, this boss fight was great. Uh, why don't we just go alphabetically? Evie, why don't, you, why don't you talk about the boss fight first? At first, it was confusing. But, like, okay. Bombs, the vines are tripwires. Yeah, I totally did not... That took me a while not, to understand. Yeah, I totally did not get that my first time. Like, or 
part at least until partway through my first time. I but just like, sort of tried to stay away from them. Mm-hmm. But once you get it and you like realize what's going on, it seems so obvious. That's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, the fact I mean, that you can run diagonally through the center without tripping any bombs and just walk right next to them is kind of a lifesaver if you're trying to do certain like one of the achievements. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing in the boss fight that bothered me was sometimes Bram's bubble did it actually help you. And as a thief that is particularly squishy, if I got hit once by that dragon, I was pretty much out. Well, I thought Bram's stuff helped. He just had to time it right, and he didn't keep it up for long. It was also, I think there was also a bug, though, because it was it was supposed to block the overhand slams, but not the come-up-from-the-bottom, like, Jaws, uh, Jaws bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that it appeared as though I had a bubble over me, but that the top ones still, still stunned me once or twice, which was more of a bug than, than a, like... Uh, misplay Mechanics issue, thing. I think. But yeah, you, you do well, take was... damage. Yeah, but, you do uh... take damage anyway. That's definitely true. But it doesn't interrupt you. And I, you know, because I played it after I read the show notes, so I was watching for that. And I think that uh, it, it worked for me. I didn't notice that problem. It only happened to me like once out of a once or twice out of about ten or twelve times that I fought it. So it wasn't it wasn't common. If it was, I basically got to the point where I had to time putting down the divine fire like without a bubble. Yeah. Um, quick. Yeah, I had to fake him out sometimes. So you go over. Oh no, I'm going over here and then time it. Yeah. Yeah. Quick uh, point of order. I'm not certain, but I'm fairly sure after having tried to do the challenge mode achievement several times that if you get your divine fire and then you run directly towards one of the um, one of the places where you channel it, uh, that Bram tends to try and go on the one that's closest to you um, pretty cl- pretty quickly. But if you're running around in circles, like that's you can sort of lose track of the one that he was trying to do it to. But towards the end, when I was speeding through it, I would tend to just like pick up the Divine Fire and immediately run towards one, and most of the time, the bubble went on that one I was finding. I've only done, I've only done the boss fight once so far, but that, that seems accurate. Yeah, but if you're running around in circles because it's, you know, it, it, it like Evie said, there's a lot of stuff going on, mm-hmm. and until you've really sort of nailed everything that's happening and all the patterns, you're kind of just, like, running around with a, like a chicken with its head cut off trying to dodge a bunch of stuff. Um, and so, it, like, that aspect is not necessarily clear because you're going to be running and turning your camera so much that you're like, oh my god, dodge this, oh my god, dodge this, all right, crap, where's the bubble? And it's like, you know, if you just run straight towards one of them, usually it'll bubble that one. Um, but anyway, going back to going back to Evie, continue on. And mostly, this makes me excited for what they can possibly do with new content designed for groups because their boss design has gone like through the roof. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, every every boss fight um, this season has been building to this, I think, and it's just been taking different. Um, mechanics and putting them together because it was awesome. And then, you know, a DPS phase was, was cool. Yeah. Um, and the time warp from Kazmir. Oh my god, that was so amazing. Yeah, that's great. That was that was fun. Uh, I actually didn't even use it several times. Uh, well, mostly because I was doing for the challenge mode achievements, but uh, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's I love I love that they're incorporating some of the mechanics of the professions in for you for 
um, how NPCs are going to contribute to the fight. Because it's really hard, I feel like, for them to strike a balance for NPCs actually being combat effective, because you don't want them to just do the whole thing for you. But implementing Mm -hmm. these things like bubbles and time warps and things like that that require the player to actually take advantage of them, but are still very clearly coming from the aid of your NPCs is a really great compromise. Yeah. I mean, even the Divine Fire, Rox was throwing it over the wall so that you could get it. Sure, yeah, that too. Which is a ranger torch skill, I mean, yeah. Oh, that's so true. I didn't even, I did not even catch that. Very, very good point. I did not, yeah, that's awesome. That's funny. Um, and then there were the minions from Marjorie. I mean, yeah. they, they all contributed in their way. Yeah. I was kind of sad that uh, our miniature uh, Azurin friend wasn't there, but. Oh, Timey? Yeah. I have a feeling, and this is just speculation on my point, that she's, combat-wise, she's going to be taking a back seat. Yeah, which I'm fine with. But she yeah. just got her suit upgraded with armor and everything. I I actually think someone else is going to start using her suit. Hmm. Well, yeah, Timey had a had a pretty bad time in episode four. That's yeah. true. So, yeah. so, yeah, so either it's going to be what Evie just said, that... Maybe somebody else is going to use, uh, be using Scruffy, or Timey will just be back later. Yeah. Um, Op, why don't you talk a little bit about your your thoughts on the boss fight? Yeah, so I I liked the challenge. Like I did it on a on a Zerker Necro, and if I you know, so if I if I do something like I can make a couple of mistakes because I have I have a, a lot of extra health from uh, Deathstroke and Life Force. But if I make too many mistakes, I'm dead. Which make, and so when I succeed, it makes me feel like I'm doing a good job and playing well. And uh, so that that was fun. And in particular, I really what what they've done with a lot of the with uh, this, the, both this fight and the and the dragon fight back in episode four was like you have to you have to stun the dragon before you can do damage to it, which is a kind of boss design that I associate very strongly with uh, Legend of Zelda games. I really like that like uh, Zelda style boss fight. Like because it makes uh, it makes doing the mechanics mandatory, which is probably my which is uh, my probably my least favorite thing about the Zerker meta in dungeons is that you can just DPS all the bosses dead in like ten seconds and then not have to do the mechanics because the mechanics are like doing the mechanics is fun but if you don't have to do them then it's just kind of a Zerk fest. Yeah, which it's is, a path um, of least resistance. Yeah. yeah, which is a much better way of designing boss fights instead of having invulnerability phases, which is what some other games do when damage goes like through the roof for players. Um, it, it just it makes it more involved without having that, like, oh, now I have to wait until I can actually do something again. Yeah. Um, so you said you've only done it once, Opt. Uh, did you do it solo, or did you have a group? Uh, I, did, I did it solo. I, the first time I, I do the, all, all the episodes, I like to do it by myself with, uh, you know, with the sound turned up so I can get, I can get the full intended experience yeah yeah i tend to do the same how about a uh, quick census did you guys all do it solo yes i did evie yep yep yeah i always do story first time solo yeah i think that's pretty i think that's pretty common um but uh yeah do you have any other do you have any other specific thoughts on the on the boss fight opt uh that was about it yeah how about you robin is there anything that really stood out to you as as uh excellent frustrating or just general general feelings um, well, I went in after, like I said, I read the uh, the show notes, so I was expecting, you know, I really was scrutinizing Bram's bubble, but it worked great for me. But I'm with Opt. It really, uh, the Zelda-esque mechanic, I'm all for it. I enjoyed it a lot. And I loved, you know, his head sticking out there, and you're just beating on it when, you know, he's like in kind of in a stunned mode. It was great. 
Yeah, it makes me think kind of, of waving back and forth. Yeah, <laughs> and you're right. It's just like a Zelda thing. It makes me think of the first boss in Ocarina of Time. You know, in the uh, the tree, the Duke tree. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you? Yeah, you have to knock it off the ceiling. Yeah, and but remember, I mean, in that, I wonder if there's like a secret way. It probably isn't, but in that, you could shoot him with a slingshot in the eye and just kill him in two minutes or less. Oh, you know, I was watching a Zelda speed through the other day, and there is a way where you can. Uh... You like smack him with uh with a Deku stick, uh jump attack, and yeah, you, you can kill him in one phase if yep. you do, if you do exactly the right sequence. Oh yeah, there's there's a way to do the like invincible Deku stick that uh, that just like always is dealing damage as long as you're touching somebody with it, and then yep. they they do that, and then they basically just like stick it in its eye, and it just DPSs <laughs> it to death, which is hilarious. Um, so I think what we're getting at is, um, you know, props to Anet for making a Zelda-like boss, which we all love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely wanted to chip in and say that I love that. Um, and I mean, overall, I pretty much share everybody's sentiments. I thought it was a fantastically designed boss fight. I thought the mechanics were very fun. It was, it had a very good arc of being confusing and challenging without, if you went in blind anyway, being confusing and challenging without being overly punishing like i didn't get completely wiped out i was just kind of panicking for a little bit and then you know you could start learning the mechanics if you did it a couple times or if you paid really close attention and you know similar to uh liadri you know there uh, i mean liadri had a bunch of one-shot kill things but the once you sort of get what's happening and the the method to the madness it becomes a lot you can become a lot more cool and collected and sort of watch for your openings and then take them. And then you sort of go onto autopilot as you uh, are waiting for them to happen or waiting for them to resolve, or you know exactly what you have to do or where it's going. Um, it becomes I, much less like dancing on a club floor and more synchronized swimming. Yeah. Well, cause I noticed that at the start of each of his underground phases, you know, the first time. And then after you damaged him the first time, when he comes back, the mechanics actually start up sequentially when you do that. And so, uh, the first thing that happens is that you get the, it's like the first thing that happens is you get the wave of rocks that go across the bottom. And then you get like the first, the first flame and the bombs sort of show up and then so it's like it doesn't all start up immediately again so you can take a second to like steady yourself and just watch for the rocks to sort of orient yourself on how they're going to be going across and if you just sort of stay at one of the edges you can you can just sort of watch the mechanics start going and once you get faster at it you can sort of grab the fire like right away because you know that you're probably going to be safe from the mines showing up because they're going to show up at close to the same time but not exactly anyway i thought it was really well designed and i did it like i said probably a dozen times because i was trying to do the challenge mode achievements afterwards which were very difficult uh, or well at least one of them was pretty difficult for me um, but but fun the at least they're also both a lot easier with groups because it's not that the group has to do it perfectly. It's just that you have to have met the conditions personally. So um, those are good. And that brings up pretty much my only two gripes with it that are both really small. The first is that I was a little bit frustrated by the lack of... Well, not a lack of telegraph, but the on the rocks that go across when he was swimming underneath. Um they have a telegraph, but they don't have any circles, and so sometimes it the effect uh, is the same as him coming out from under the ground, 
and it's okay to be hit by that, but not by the rocks for the rock achievement. And so that was a little bit frustrating. And it's hard to tell exactly what their size is. Um, but that's that's a pretty minor complaint. And then the other one was just that I loved that they put the challenge mode at the end of it so that you could just restart the fight without having to go through stabbing win over and over again, which wouldn't really add anything to it. I just wish that there was also a way to use a challenge mode to just um, start the fight over in the middle of the fight. That would if be you nice. Get hit, if you get hit by a rock somewhere in the first phase, it's just like an eye roll because you know that you're just done with that achievement. And you just have to beat the whole boss again before you can try. Um, oh, but, can you, you know... Can you, can you die to get outside and then talk to the challenge mode? Nope. If you talk oh. to the challenge mode, it just puts you back into the fight. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, well, so. could you die, just leave the instance, and then go back in? Yeah, but sitting through the wind cutscene and all of them walking um, up takes about as long. Um, it's not a big deal. It just was when I was trying to grind out the two, the bomb achievement and the rock achievement. Uh, it was it just was a little bit extra frustrating. But again, I mean, those are challenge mode, and and like I said, they're a lot easier when you have a group because if you have a group of people doing the divine fire, you you can just focus one hundred percent on the rocks and not. You know, just stay out of the way. It's not that hard to dodge the rocks if you're not doing anything else. <laughs> um, and the same thing with the bomb achievement. If you have multiple people doing the bomb trip wires, it's pretty much impossible for them to blow up on their own, and you also won't... Yeah, it'll be a lot easier for you to take your time, you know, to each do one bomb trip wire or whatever. Um, but it sounds like even though you have your gripes with it, that you really got into it because you're explaining it and it engaged you. So I think that's awesome on the achievements for them. Oh yeah, no, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, and like I said, I, those are those are really only minor gripes, and it was really the only gripe on the challenge mode achievement was like, God, I wish I could just get back into the action like and try right away again. But yeah, it was it was great. I I had a really great time with it. So really, hats off on the on the instance. I and I agree with I think it was what Evie said, but really I think we're all agreeing that it really bodes well for things to come. You know, they've they've really stepped up their game on on challenging boss design. And doing it in such a way that is like challenging but fun, and ways that you have to do the mechanics and ops analogy of a Zelda style boss is perfectly fitting. I love it. Love great, it. Great, 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 great. Don't say the <laughs> R word. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, that's that's exactly the type of thing that I expect from a you know raid or pseudo raid is like these these kinds of mechanics. And I I really would love to point this out to people that think that the Holy Trinity is required for for good challenging multiplayer content because it really isn't if you design it right and <clears throat> Anet is really learning how to design it right so well speaking of raids um, I was talking with um, a guildie the other day and they were, they were saying how maybe that the uh, the other update I'm sorry the uh, silver wastes content that is Guild Wars version of a raid uh I think less so, though, because when you have too many people, you can't demand very tight coordination, and I think one of the key requirements in most people's mind for a raid is that it requires a lot of coordination between people that are actively communicating with one another, and it's it's just not quite it's just not quite the same, I feel like. But I, I mean, I it's great engaging content. It is great engaging content. I just hope that it's not what they think is raids. Well, they've yeah. already stated that to them or at least on the forums whenever the CDI was going on, that raids are instanced, challenging PvE content for a larger group of people. 
Yeah, and I, I do I do want them to add add that to the game. And I think this like I think like big open world content where it's possible for like the, these massive groups of hundred people to, to fail if they all do it wrong. Like I think that's good, but I don't think that's I don't I don't think it scratches the same itch. Yeah, it, that's I think that's exactly right. It's it's good. It's just not it's not what the people that really like the type of raid raid e content mm-hmm. are looking for for that type of content. So would it be interesting if, and this is, you know, going out in the theoretical, if they opened up Silver Wastes for, like, a guild achievement, and you could limit it with maybe, what, 30 people, and you had to do it? Maybe. Um, I'd rather bring back Marionette. Yeah, yeah Marionette was, was really a pretty cool kind of, yeah, if you, if you limited it to five people per lane, for example, or something like that, and then you, I mean, you had to rebalance it, obviously, a little bit, but mm-hmm. if you had to have, it was a, it would be a 20-person instance, you know, if you will, right? There were four lanes or five lanes? I think there was four. I think it was four, yeah. So it'd be a 20-person instance, which is, like, sort of in that sweet spot of a lot of people, but not too many people, and, you know, you'd each have your own lanes to defend, you'd have mechanics going on there and then you would each have different mini bosses that you had to fight inside the domes yeah i think that would be um a cool thing i mean i always i i still hope that they bring back something like the underworld or the fissure of woe i don't think we'll ever get those two back specifically because those are more human oriented but um just the just the design of those zones was really cool i mean there's I think the char would love to go in there and raid. More like, on huh. that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I but mean, we were talking about we we're talking about uh, the marionette. So, how does the marionette compare to Vinewrath? Yeah, I guess that's our segue. That's true. Yeah, I mean, we were getting ready to move right into the Vinewrath fight. It, uh, um, yeah. Well, it, there, there's definitely obvious similarities. There's this concept of lanes. There's this concept of bosses that come at the end of the lanes that are different from one another. Um. I thought it was easier than the marionette by a wide margin. Which isn't sure. necessarily a bad thing. No, no. definitely not. Um, mm, I don't like. There's so much to say. I don't really know exactly where to start on it. It's such a broad topic. Um, have we all done it? I've done Vinerath, but I did. Yes. I wasn't there for marionette. Oh, okay. Opt. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you've done it. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, for for Bradman's benefit, maybe the ben- and benefit of listeners, shall I do an executive summary of what the marionette was? Yeah, that's sure. totally fine. Go ahead. All right. So the so the uh, the twisted marionette was uh wasn't was a temporary world boss they added uh, towards the end of Living World season one about a year ago. Um, if it, it was uh, you can go and you can go and see the wreckage of the marionette in Lornar's Pass. Uh, basically, the way that it worked is there were uh, there were five lanes. And um, like, and Scarlet was sending like Scarlet would be sending like twisted watchword minions and stuff into towards the marionette where it would um, where they would get like absorbed and like fill fill like a marionette power meter. And if that if that meter got filled to one hundred percent, like the the event would fail. And you and actually everybody in the zone gets hit by a by a death laser, which is really funny. But the so the way that, so essentially the it has it has kind of two phases. And the first phase is like. Uh, you have you, you you have everybody in the map split up along these five lanes doing essentially tower defense, and uh, and uh, each of the each of the lanes has slightly different mechanics. Like some of them would have um, some of them have barricades, some of them don't have barricades. Uh, some of them get different kinds of enemies, but it was all about it was all about like snare, snaring all these enemies using using lots of AOE DPS to prevent them from reaching the end of the lane, and then and then each. Um, Along along the way, each lane would uh, get a chance to go into phase two, 
where you where the the teleporters would open up for players to go through, and then and then the players would get split up into like five groups of five or so, where you would eat, where you would all have to fight a you, in a small in the in those small groups you would have to fight a uh, champion watchbird creature that had uh, unique mechanics, and um, and that was that that was how you progressed the the event towards success is by killing those champions. And when you killed them, it severed one of the chains that was holding the marionette up. Yes. And then, and, and then, and then, once all the chains are severed, the marionette falls to the ground, and you and you win. And as a, a side note, it was also really fun because, or really interesting at least, because the marionette was sort of still stomping around on the platform, and so while you were fighting these champions with their own unique um, tactics and and move sets and stuff, the marionette would actually like walk around and stomp on the different platforms or like kick across them. And yep. so you'd get these like huge AOEs that would appear and then this giant foot would just like try and boot you off the platform. I mean, it wouldn't actually boot you off, but you know, effectively is trying to just kick you off the platform and just did a buttload of damage. And so there was both the champion mechanics you were fighting and also the marionette was like contributing. Um, and the... And- that was the first fight that they really started using the new telegraphs, right? Yeah, the that, orange that was circles. Where, that was and... where it was introduced, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It sounds like there's a lot more to the marionette than a vine wrath. Yeah, it was, it, it was uh, you know, especially for a temporary event, it was actually, like, pe- like people got good at it because it was really popular, but it was uh, it was quite challenging. Like, you had the you had the large group stuff with, in the lanes and with the tower defense kind of stuff. You had the, the small group stuff with fighting the champions. And the uh, and I just and I also just want to make another comment that the atmosphere was of the marionette was some of the some of the some of the best like sound design that they that they've done because like you know Scarlet is like taunting you over the radio and stuff and the original music that was really awesome it's up on their SoundCloud I I recommend you go hunt it down yeah um it was it was really fun uh it was I mean I think most people that did it would agree that it's probably been one of their favorite boss fights in in the whole game for for like large content. Um I still yeah. actively miss it. Yeah, I do too. It was a lot of fun. I really yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, it sounds like they should bring it back as a fractal or something. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um so um I don't know, why don't we why don't we have somebody talk about the sort of I guess procedure and any interesting little sub points about about this fight like about how the lanes are similar and different and the the um what should we call it the the detected debuff that they have that tries to or or whatever the target acquired thing that they have um anybody anybody want to talk about that yeah so i can i can, I can do that too go uh, for it I've, I've done the so i've um i've done the vine Rath fight like probably three four times now mm-hmm. and it's uh so it's it's conceptually it's pretty similar to Marionette. You've got you've got instead of five lanes, you have three lanes, and uh, there and the defense mechanic in the lanes is you have a siege carrier that's uh, that you, uh, you you do a, you do a mechanic unique to that lane to provide ammunition to the siege carrier. Then the siege carrier goes and attacks a uh, barrier in the lane, and uh, and once all the barriers are down, then then that lane is able to go into the into the Vinerath's main chamber and fight a champion that has unique mechanics. And you and if you if you fail to kill that champion, then um, then that that counts against your progress on the event. And if you fa- if you lose too many siege carriers because you fail to defend them, or you fail against the champions too many times, then the whole event uh, fails. But it's uh, and it, it and the unique mechanics are uh, are pretty cool. Like you have to like you have to uh, manipulate aggro on on um, the troll boss's bees so that it builds a giant honeycomb that protects you from a giant laser attack. 
you have to stand or uh, and then for the terragrip boss you have to stand on uh you have to stand on flowers to avoid like a like an electrified floor kind of attack um like re- really cool uni- really cool and unique stuff that we've kind of never seen before and you've got it's um sequential so the honeycomb the troll boss is first then yep. the terragraph and then what about the uh, target-acquired debuff? That's interesting. And why did, do you think they put that in? Um, target-acquired debuff. That, that's the one that prevents you from going back in? Yes. Yeah, so they, I, think, uh, I think they put that in so that you can so that um, you can't, uh, one group can't zerg all three champions. Like they, but the, the map has to split up their numbers like somewhat evenly between the three lanes, or you're going to have difficulty succeeding. Because, yeah, that was... because if everybody goes in, like if everybody goes in and fights the troll, and then you kill the troll, no problem because you add hundred people. Then there's not going to be anybody to uh, fight the Thrasher, which is the second boss. And it keeps people outside to continue um, protecting the lanes while the inside fight is going on as well. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, uh, in w- in one of my attempts yesterday, we uh, we c- I I was in the I was in the south lane group, so I fought fought and killed the troll, and then uh, somebody on the map was saying that north. Did not have enough people, so I went and I went and helped out North during the second boss fight, and then yep. it was uh, and then it was North's turn to go and fight the champion. But I, I still had my target acquired debuff, so I went back to where I was at South instead of going in with them. Yeah, and it makes it feel like since you can't go in there, you're not missing something. I don't know why it makes me feel better about it, but it does. Yeah, it yeah. makes you feel like you're not quite like sacrificing your own progress, if you will. I think yeah. that's the, the key thing is like you're not you're not making the choice to remove yourself from potential rewards or boss fighting. It's like you've already it's already been made for you. You can't go in there, so you're gonna do whatever you can to, you know, help out outside. Though the though there is one perhaps unfortunate incentive that gets set up by this event in that um people it uh, AJ has uh, from Twit Guild has done done Vinewrath a lot more than I have, and what she, what she has noticed is that um, a lot of people will kill one boss and then just go and farm chests or whatever for the rest of the fight instead of helping out. Mm. So that is unfortunate. But um, but uh, I haven't noticed that as much. Like not like maybe it's happening, but not to the point the event fails. Yeah, which, I still haven't uh, which, seen it fail yet. Um, I've I failed it. Like I've I've been in a failed failed uh boss attempt, but uh, I haven't seen the event fail overall. Yeah, I've only seen one failed boss attempt, and it was, I think, the last time I did it, which was last night. It happened once, but, uh, yeah, I still haven't seen the event fail, or even get close to failing, for that matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty easy, but it's okay. I mean, you get a lot of chests at the end, um, which is nice. It feels I it think, feels pretty rewarding. I think it failed once when I was on the map. I was overplaying in the, you know, the jumping puzzle, or the jumping labyrinth, as you know, maybe you should call yeah. it. The jumping zone. Think, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I think it failed once when I was doing that, but when I was actively helping, it hasn't failed for me. But I think it's cool. I mean, this whole zone is built on itself, and it's cool that we've got, you know, tiers where you've got Breach, and you can fail Breach, but this still happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really cool, really well-designed zone. I mean, I just love the, I just love the idea of blending in this world-v-world world mechanic into PvE. I think it's been a yeah. really cool idea, and Colin Johansson on Points of Interest said, you know, that this is... This type of system of these multi-layered, like, feeding events and this zone that's sort of telling the story of the zone through the events is is something that they've been learning from and how to do, and that that's the type of thing that they want to be, you know, pushing more and more frequently. Not necessarily this world-v-world style, but this idea that all of the events in the zone have sort of a unified feel. They help feel tell the and, story. 
Exactly. Yeah, I think that was a really succinct way of putting it, and I I I think everybody pretty much approves of it. So I think it's great. Um, I think we ought to mention. Uh, I stepped away for a minute while we were talking, so I don't. But I don't think we talked about it. Did we talk about the RNG from the chess? Mm-mm. Not yet. No. The RNG from the chest for the chess. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that is definitely frustrating. Um. The the carapace chest piece you only can well you will get is this a guaranteed the only way to get it? you will get a guaranteed one for completing the achievement for the first time and is that achievement just completing the whole fight opt yeah it's a, it's a uh, yeah the first time you kill the vine rat you get an achievement that gives you a coat box yeah but afterwards the only way to get it is from a rng drop in the chest uh, at the end and you can't currently buy it for bandit crests or any other way, as far as we know. Although I suppose it's te- it's technically possible that it's a very rare drop rate from a bandit chest, but that's so rare that it's not worth talking about, really. I think I think the patch notes only say you can get it from the vine wrath. Yeah. Um. So that's that's sort of frustrating. Although at the same time, it may very well be that you know, come come whatever the next patch is, they'll add it into the bandit token vendor or something like that. Um, we we can hope. It's kind of annoying to tie it is annoying. to a boss reward. Even even though I got it, you know, for the achievement, and then I killed Vinerath one more time, and I've got it twice so far. So, but that's my orange. So you have yeah. two total, or did you get three? I have two total. So you got one of them just from the achievement. That means yes, exactly. But I got one. But then the next, the very next time I did it, I got it again. I'm like, oh, do you get this every time? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you would. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad because I've only done it. Well, I, yeah, I, I actually, I feel bad for AJ because I know she's done it like a dozen times or so, and just the other night she finally got her first one aside from the achievement. Yeah. Um. Whereas I, on my first time through, got the achievement and I got one from the chest, and then I did it a second time, didn't get anything, and then I did it a third time and got the chest. So I oh, got so all you got three two and the three. First time. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So I feel bad. Like, I mean, you know, yippee for me, but I've been on the mm-hmm. other end. I've been on the crappy oh, yeah. end of the RNG so many times that I just feel I feel really bad if somebody really wants that and it's an account bound item that yeah. is RNG. It's it's just very frustrating. It's not that the boss fight isn't fun, but you know well, And then it, it goes to I mean, if you go in for that uh that armor set we were talking about in the uh oh, I forgot the name of it. Luminescent. The luminescent, and you want that, uh, you know, ascended armor chest. You're yeah. waiting on RNG. There, that is something that I think does need to be fixed or changed in this game. There's too much dependence in RNG for certain account bound items that are. There's no other way to get them. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, if if it's account bound, there's like, did you get? Have you guys been reading uh, the tough love tough love critic blog? Yeah, yeah. We we uh, we brought it up on the last show. It's been a good blog so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but basically, the just to take borrow one sentence from from that person. Um, that if something if something is RNG and account bound, there's no need for it to be astronomically rare. Yeah, like there's certain degrees to which I can understand the motivation to make you want to do it more than once or a couple times. But yeah, it, yeah, that that pretty much sums it up exactly. Like if it's yeah. if it's account bound and RNG, like don't make somebody possibly have to do it, you know, a hundred times or a thousand times or you know whatever. And then the other side of that, I mean, I've been in silver wastes more than once and someone's saying oh yeah i just farmed and got my uh, my glove box my last glove box because it's not dropping for me in the chest and then oh i just got another one out of the chest oh of course and this is really <laughs> annoying as well yeah but at least at least they give you a method for buying those ones like it's not very fun to to farm up you know 
12,000 uh, bandit crests or whatever it would take to to buy them all that way, but it's still, you know, it's better than having to wait on RNG if you've got bad RNG luck, so. Yeah, yeah and while, while we're on this kick, um, I'll, I'll also borrow a quote from, from AJ, who, uh, who, AJ only gets, um, she only has good RNG for stuff that she either doesn't want or can't sell. Like, like she has never gotten a precursor drop, but she's gotten stuff like a fused weapon ticket and a, uh, back back in uh, the Flame and Frost days. So she has the fused longbow, uh, which you know is cool, but she didn't really want it, and she and they weren't se- they weren't sellable at the time. Yeah. Um, and then and then like various various other stuff like like cool stuff, but that she d- doesn't particularly want, and then couldn't sell to help her get her precursors for eternity, for instance. Yeah, and and of course couldn't couldn't get the even spending hundreds of gold on on pre on uh, exotic great swords couldn't like couldn't get one out of the mystic toilet. Uh, so so the so the quote is RNG makes me hate my friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. yeah. I mean, like it. There definitely is a very real bitterness factor towards people like <clears throat> spirit. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That uh, you know get several precursors in only. a a dozen or so attempts, a couple dozen attempts. It's just like, oh god. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's another thing. I've gotten things that I can't sell or give to someone. I mean, I've gotten drops certain times that I know people in the guild want it, but I can't even give it to them, which is just lame. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. Um, I'm I'm also just gonna say fractal weapons and leave it at that. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, and that goes to the the tough love critic had a had an article on fractals and fractal rewards and all that type of stuff. And you know, it's uh, it's just that type of thing where, like, I'll admit, I haven't played that many fractals compared to people that are way more hardcore about it. But a a huge part of it for me is that you know the I know you should play the game to have fun, and I do. But I had fun doing it thirty or forty times, and if there's no, if the chances of reward are fractal weapon rare rewards, like I just refuse to make that type type of a time gamble. Um, yeah. You know, on on higher level stuff. So. Yeah, but, it took it took me two years of playing fractals before I got a fractal shield and a fractal longbow. Oh God. Yeah. <sighs> All right, well, I'm going to steer us back towards positive waters because yeah. we are actually overwhelmingly happy and positive about this patch. Yeah, we are. It's It's been great. So let's steer it right back towards the uh, boss fight more and more specifically the ending cinematics. We've got both of them. Um, do we want to... How do you guys feel about this? Do you want to divide it up into discussing each of them separately or just sort of discuss them as one because they're back-to-back? I... I think it would be more structured to talk about one and then the other. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's start with the the one that we saw with the, the pact going off and fulfilling Evie's uh, prophetic visions of uh, exactly how they were going to get wiped out and we were going to be left behind because we were messing around with an egg. Yep. Um, I think all of I think I can speak for all of us when I say once again, hats off, uh, hearty applause for ArenaNet's art team. Uh, these cinematics are beautiful. I love. Yep. Also, I love them. New tech. Yeah. Very good. What's With which new tech? Kay's face. Is that what you're talking about? Well, there's that, but just the way they have, they kept the like painterly art style that they're really good at, but they've added more movement into yeah. the actual uh, objects that are painted. It is. It, it just. It looks amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic, and it's also. I think one of the most like one of the best things about it is it's so uniquely Guild Wars. 
there's really nothing else out there that does this. It really isn't. And so to have some, to have created something that's so cool and so beautiful and tells such a great, it's such a great way to tell a story instance. And for that to have been wholly unique, as far as I can tell, like that's, that's really amazing. I mean, it's, I mean, speaking without even talking about the content, it's just been, I, I love these scenes. I mean, all the way back when we saw, oh gosh, I mean, even when the game was being trailered, they had some of these, you know, types of painterly scenes for, uh, like Ascalon Catacombs, and we were hoping that we were going to get them everywhere else, and that sort of fell through, but I love to see them, you know, making their return. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't think that they didn't. The painterly thing has been around for a while, but they've started to take it to new levels. So they didn't invent it, but they're doing new things with it that we haven't really seen much of before, and that's pretty cool. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, the the like painterly aesthetic is is not completely original to them. But I think they're drawing the way a they've... lot from Go and, you know, Shijiko Amano and stuff like that, which is cool. It's good to see that style progressing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool. But, um... I don't know. Who wants to, who wants to start with this one? Oh boy. Um First off, there's a lot of speculation that can be done just from the first cutscene. Mhm. Which is really nice to see that they're like throwing this stuff out there and just letting players digest it. I like how it shows us that I mean, basically the jungle is the dragon. And we kind of knew that before, but this is, you know, a real it- it's image like you see it like yeah. just the massive scale of holy crap this thing is like a continent yeah it, it's kind of, it's kind of what i expected the elder dragons to be all along like like that that it's it's like it's like unfathomably huge well i yeah. think we can agree that zaitan's like the the stepchild of the dragons he's not as scary as these other guys just yeah. like necromancers ah. oh but oh, um yeah before we before we continue on i do want to say that i think that it was probably very deliberate uh well obviously destroying the pact was deliberate but i think i would be interested to know if that was intended as a way to sort of speak to players frustration and criticism from what happened in season one where the pact was completely absent for these world rocking like lion's arch being destroyed by giant robot monstrosities like where's our (laughs) airship fleet yeah and so, you know, I feel like this may have been, you know, the writers, say, Peter Freeze, being like, oh, well, the pact was busy. Here, we'll bring the pact next time you want them. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know. Here's your, here's your fleet in the jungle. And there it lays. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's both addressing what players felt, you know, with that internal consistency of like, well, where is the pact? Like, didn't we have this awesome fleet? So we actually got to bring it to bear. And then further, after this point, it's completely understandable why we won't have the pact because it's gone. Like, the fleet's gone. So it, it like, simultaneously addresses that, that concern of internal consistency and also addresses the concern about whether or not you'll have to worry about it in the future because it's gone. So I, I think that was a very... Um, I'm not sure if that was entirely their motivation, but it wouldn't surprise me if that was sort well, of behind it. And I think it's very clever to do that. I think it's and from a logistic point of view, it'd be interesting to see how much the other nations invested in to see how much they've lost as well. How many peacekeepers or you know Iron Legion were on those ships, and how much more defenseless is everyone now? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And how much of the and like is the pack is the pack like completely gone, or has enough of the chain of command survived that they can rebuild? Yeah. 
so not so the and the other question is how much is is not how much is Turhan going to be trusted? It's how much it's how much is he going to be distrusted if yeah. he's still if he's still alive or if he's still on our side at all? Yeah, I think it's gonna be interesting to see if and how many uh, members of of Destiny's Edge you know survived, died, or any anything in between. I, th- um, I think I think that Destiny's Edge has plot armor, personally. I think so too. I I think I mean you're you're probably right, but you know, <laughs> still. But yeah, no, that raises the question. We were just saying when we get into the jungle, and it's probably going to be Destiny's Edge 2.0, Bram, and you know the rest of us. Are we going to find nothing, or are there going to be you know little resistance camps that were survivors from the crash? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um. So Evie, it sounds like you've got a lot of good speculation for for continuing on in this cutscene. Okay, first off, when the vines go to attack the ships, there's a lot of explosions going on, and I've noticed that whenever the explosions happen, there's like a little surge of magic, which leads me to believe that the vines themselves can manipulate magic, mm-hmm. which has... What's the word I'm Well, that's kind of what we learned when they were, you know, affecting the relay system. It, exactly. But that was more of a passive thing. This is very active. But that passive ability um, adds... Uh, it, make, it makes sense that this active thing could happen because of what they were doing with the, uh, the relay system. Because if they're absorbing magic, why can't they manipulate it? Yeah, it, it's, it's just nice to see sort of a confirmation of sorts that... These things aren't just physical entities; they're metaphysical as well. <laughs> hmm. And you and you would you would expect a dragon, especially a dragon that seems to be as cunning as Mordromoth is, to have that kind of uh, that kind of power. Yeah, and what really kind of sets me off is the magic is purple, but everything else about. Mordramoth tends to be green, or now red with his corruption of the Silvari, which is another mm-hmm. thing entirely. So it's well, just like you know, it's just the glow shader, you know, for Silvari. That's you know, it's it's separate. That's not his main color. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's going on with the Silvari, and this kind of goes into the second cutscene a little bit. They very clearly indicate. Silvari are corrupted with their bioluminescence turning red. Yeah. And there's the contrast with that when you see Cave. She's very blue. So I've got a question. Was uh, Scarlet Briar's uh, bioluminescence red? Uh, I think so. I can't remember. I think she was. I know she had red eyes. Yeah, which... I can't remember, but I, th- I would say that she probably was, but I can't remember for sure. Anyway, yeah. keep going, Evie. And you back on Scarlet's the... eyes were green. Really? I thought they were yeah. red. Yeah, they're sort of greenish no, yellowish. Her hair. Her, her hair is very red, and her yeah. armor's red. I'm looking. Yeah, I think Opt and I just Google image searched. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wiki for me, but yeah. Oh yeah, same idea. Uh, yeah, I can't actually find any of her glowing really. Anyway, moving on. And then beyond sort of that color thing, there's hints like. With the landscape the way it is, it's on a coastline. You could basically infer that this is happening either along, say, Sanctum K, tarnished like below the tarnished coast, or 
quite possibly near the Isles, Isles of Janthir. Like, we really don't know if from the Silver Waves they went north or they went south. But yeah. we do know they're in a jungle. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Or even if they... Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I was about to say if they went further west, but it's hard to say. Well, there's a coastline. And we don't know exactly how far that coastline is if you go straight west. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Cantha's to the southwest, right, though? So... Cantha's below Alona. Yeah. I know, but it's yeah, but it's to the west, I believe. So there's obviously some sort of west coast uh, for Cantha to be an island further to the west than south. Anyway, regardless. Um. Well, you know, speaking of going to the jungle, I'm kind of hoping, and I think I've said this before, and I've said it on the show, but I've talked about people in the guild that you know we'll find. Remember that Temple of Balthazar that was deep in the Mugiwa jungle in Guild Wars One? Oh, yeah. That could be a rally point for people that survived the crash. That'd be interesting. Where? I'm not quite remembering that. Is is that the Balthazar statue, like, way out in the world that could send you to the Fissure of Woe if you really wanted to? I think so. Um, I, mm-hmm. I don't remember if it could do that. I remember the, the Grenth one could do that over in, uh, in the Shiver Peaks. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember if the... But yeah, it was way back. It was... Um, the reason I knew about it is I used to do uh, Totemax runs, and it was in that map. It was, like, in the far edge of it. The mm-hmm. falls... Yep, the falls. That was a, that was really. I I really loved how many like out of the way. Not a lot. Not a lot of reasons to go here, but go look at how go look at how pretty it is and kill monsters and get loot maps mm-hmm. that were in Guild Wars One. Yeah, yeah. So it goes with you know if our human theory that you know humans have some resistance. If there's a human god temple there, that might be some sort of bastion rally point. If nothing else, it would look really cool. Like Guild, right. War, Guild Wars Two eyes. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I just, uh, while we were talking about this, I just watched the cinematic again to to try and uh, make sure I remembered exactly what was in each cinematic. Um, yeah, I think that mostly sort of covers our speculation on that one, wouldn't you say? I mean, we have some vague ideas of where they could have gone. I mean, the only other thing is, I like the way how, in the cutscene at least, they hint that Destiny's Edge is like in a bad spot, but mm-hmm. there's like no conclusive. Oh, these people died, right? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is fitting because as the player character, we don't know exactly what happened yet. Sure, mm-hmm. exactly. I, I mean, I yeah, I'd wager that that's what our next living story chapter, whatever for season three, is gonna be. You know, like. All right. Well, what the hell happened? You know, we're we're gonna get to find that answer out as players. You know, pretty quickly, hopefully. Um, you know, because yeah, I mean, we don't we have no knowledge. It all happened off camera for them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the the teaser trailer. The second cutscene, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the the Easter egg that isn't an Easter egg. I was gonna say that, like, <laughs> it drives me crazy that everybody's calling it an Easter egg. Yeah. That is not what an Easter egg is, you guys. I I have a feeling that they intended it to be an Easter egg, but they were just like, we can't do that for something like this. Oh, they can't. There's no way. And first of all, uh, I, so just just to get out get out in front of this, it's like it's really I think it's really smart that the, the this teaser or whatever you want to call it, like that they just they put it in the game mm-hmm. and not and you know not like not like on YouTube on or the website like, only. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I, when I saw it, I'm like, wait, am I watching you? What's happening? Am I still in game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, because like uh, you know that shaman data mined the logo 
out of like uh, out of the patch. But you know, so, so they that like they got it, they got it, they got this out in front of players like as soon as they can, so no, with the patch, so nobody could steal their thunder. I thought that was very smart. Yeah, and I yeah, it'd be interesting to know if it was always meant to be that way. I think it probably was though. I think they wanted to build the hype as a you know. Yeah, build the, the hype way to the make sure out. all your players know about it. Just stick it in the game. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, I do want to say, I think there was some questioning from, uh, not necessarily among the podcast crew, but um, people were wondering if there was a corrupted char in this cutscene, and I am 99% certain that there is, right at about a minute eight. I would agree with you. Yeah, I uh, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure when I watched it the first time, but looking back on it, just the scaling and the the general the posture and the posture and the the there. way that the horns are, yeah, like it's it's uh, it looks I would like say his vines covering a red glow as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, like so he's been corrupted much the same way that the crystalline, you know, corrupted guys have the, been. The so yeah, the brand. There you go. Which is really the, the first, um, even hint that Mordermoth can even do that. Yeah, ascending race. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I, that, I, you know, I haven't watched the cutscene again yet, but I was when I watched it. I was, I, I just assumed it was a Mordrum troll. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're pretty confident that it's not. You, th- you really think it's a char? Yeah, I, I, I just really was watching it for a troll. as we were watching it. It's got he's like he's hunkered forward like a char is when he's about to fight, and he very clearly has char horns. And okay, like yeah, it's I. I mean, but if you're just watching it the first time through, it sort of flashes quickly enough that it's kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, I could, yeah, exactly. It could be a troll or a husk or a whatever. But um, yeah, if you if you pause it right around there, it, I I would say I'm fairly confident that that's a that that's a char, which is yeah. And I think that helps illustrate that you know the pact has gone down and some of them have been corrupted. There is right. a lot of fighting, and then does that tell us that foul lanes there too? It's going to be really interesting to see how the nightmare court comes into this. Yeah, well, that was something I started well, saying earlier. Is I I was mm-hmm. really curious how um, the nightmare, the or yeah, how the nightmare court's gonna how they're gonna swing on this issue because I could really see it going either way. Yeah, like this is a huge opportunity for them to gain political power among the Savari. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing because is, the when they show like who I think is Falling in the uh, trailer, there isn't a glow there, which would indicate that. She's not directly corrupted, but I mean that doesn't mean she's not somewhat working. Well, for that's it. the big question: Does so the I'm... Nightmare Court um, protect them from Mordermoth control, or is it part of Mordermoth control? Like the the, the the Nightmare Court, they were like they were like they they always their whole thing is they took issue with Ventari's teachings, and they thought and, and they thought that it was something that was forced on them, that it's not their their true nature, and that their true nature is something else. So may, yeah. maybe maybe they'll kind of like embrace Morjamoth as being their true true nature and and but serve at his... the same time they're also wildly independent. Exactly. So mm-hmm. it's strong willed. So, yeah. so I'm um so this might just be a trick of this particular screenshot of the cinematic, but I'm looking at um at Vereen's blog post on uh, on the pale tree, and she has she has a screenshot of what looks like Fallon uh, stabbing somebody with a, with a spear. Mm-hmm. And it, this might just be a trick of like this particular freeze frame, but it looks like there's a thorn vine growing out of her back. I was just about to mention that. I actually am watching it in slow mo right now, and there's definitely thorn vines that are attached to her, um, and her eyes are red. She doesn't have as much of a glow, but the person that she's stabbing doesn't look like they have any growths. So if that is Fallon, I would say that she's been corrupted. But it could just as easily be a generic 
like Silvari with a branch head because that's 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 Fallon's face, hair, and armor. Face. Yeah, and, and that's and that's the TA light armor, which is what she which is what she was wearing it when the last time we saw her. Okay, chron- right. chronologically. Yeah, so it, I think the question remains. That's Fallon. <laughs> these are big. These are big um, things. What you know merits corruption because, like we already said, our uh, player characters obviously won't be Morgoth minions. Right. So. Is the dream um, protecting everyone? So is the nightmare also protecting everyone? Is it two sides of the same coin? See, yeah, and that's how I could see how that could come to come to be that they s- still ally with the side of good is because unlike the soundless, like they're still attached to the dream. The whole mm-hmm. goal mm-hmm. of the nightmare court was to free themselves from the overly Ventari. restrictive in their minds, uh, you know, tenants of Ventari by An by changing and right by changing the message of the dream. So they're still very much connected to the dream. And so it it's kind of um imperative almost for them to be connected to the dream because that is how they do what they do. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can see I could see this turning into sort of a schism of the Nightmare Court, you know, where some of them jump ship maybe with like Fallon, um, you know, and, and go join Mordremoth willingly, and then others we may get more Kanak typed characters that are like you know, look, I'm not really a rosy, you know, goody two shoes, like nice guy, but I don't want to be a friggin' like I'd I'd rather be my own dude than be a slave to a dragon, even if you know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, yeah, it's there's a lot of interesting potential for what's what either will or could happen with the Nightmare Court, and I'm, I mean, I I feel like it's pretty fair to say that we're probably gonna delve into it, like yeah. And even though this you know raises more questions than uh, it answers, I think it's nice to finally have some reason why Guild Wars Two has been so Silvari centric. And a lot of people have you know criticized because that and felt bad. I never never bothered me because I have so many Silvari characters and I like that. But I think it has been a little Silvari Silvari centric, and now we know why. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean it's one of those things that like. <laughs> like they kind of their kind of defensive statement that they make a lot of the time is like oh but it's been planned the whole time like it's not just that we only love Silvari it's like well yeah but you also wrote the story like mm-hmm. you know <laughs> you you clearly kind of love Silvari because you, it's not like you wrote the story and then filled in the race names afterwards like you <laughs> you very clearly like wrote them to be a central part and I mean well, that doesn't bother me but you know uh, it's kind of like how they originally were with Mesmers, because it's sort of their thing. It's sort Silvari, of their brainchild. Yeah, Silvari is an arena net thing. Yeah. So it makes sense that they would sort of try to embrace that and put it in the forefront. Right. But well, here's an interesting um, way of thinking about this, though. Uh, I don't remember who mentioned it. I saw it somewhere on either on the Reddit or one of their blogs, is that somebody mentioned the idea of a 10-year plan. And that it's it's something that I'm increasingly seeing from studios these days that are making big budget games is like they're making an investment for a 10 year plan. And, you know, people talk about that with Destiny all the time is that, you know, they spent all this money up front, but it was for a 10 year plan in this release cycle. Um, it has been two years, almost exactly, uh, since we since the game came out. And now we are dealing with the next Elder Dragon. So if you're thinking about it in terms of a 10-year plan, it could be very conceivable that they have been intending that basically it's two-year lead-up and whatever to each Elder Dragon, and with five Elder Dragons, like, or, you know, yeah, with five Elder Dragons, that's 10 years. And I mean, we beat one at the release, but we haven't beaten Mordremoth yet. 
So it's also very conceivable that the way in the future, like a year from now or a year and a half from now or whatever, like if they keep going with the living story, that, you know, perhaps it will be time to deal with, um, you know, Jormag or Primordis or Kralkatoric or whatever. I like or, that. And, yeah, that's cool. and that would be... Well, the thing is that that would be more centric on each of the races that... Because each dragon really affects one race more yes, than the others. Yeah. And so, you know, it's really very possible that they have always intended all of the races to get their, like, two-year-long spotlight. And it's just that Silvari are first. Which is, yeah, I mean, it's interesting food for thought. I mean, it feels hard as a consumer, because two years is a really friggin' long time, and thinking about ten years is, like, insanity. But... For a company their size, I can completely understand, like that kind of an i like that kind of a thought process of like, all right, we've got five dragons, we've got five major races, you know, we want to do a ten year plan of this living story thing, and if we can keep it up, like we'll have had these massive arcs to fight these giant elder dragons, and you know, two years apiece. Or well, well, that does make sense. They've mm-hmm. also specifically stated that. Their plan is not to just do, oh, here's a dragon, here's the next dragon, here's the next dragon. Oh. Granted, that's not what they're actually doing, but... <laughs> so far, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Just food for thought, you know? It, I'm it not really saying... just depends on, you know, what ends up happening in the next six months or so. For all we know, we could be going to fight Mordremoth, and as soon as that happens, Jormag's like, hey, how you guys doing? <laughs> and we kill him six months after that. <laughs> Well, I mean, with that cinematic, you know, that was sort of implying that the death of Zaitan sort of empowered or, like, souped up um, Mordremoth, perhaps. You know, we were, we were speculating about that way back then, that with that one of the eternal alchemy that we saw this season, you know, it's like when one of them sort of shorted out, the other one grew immensely. I mean, it's entirely that's possible. possible but, yeah. yeah, that like that's, wanna, it sets I... off a chain of events that by killing an Elder Dragon, mm-hmm. you strengthen that... another one's hold on the world. Which makes you wonder what's going to happen when we're down to one. Yeah, sure. But or even when two of them are out of the picture, like when Mordremoth, if he did take Zaitan's like, power somewhat, like what happens when a dragon with two goes, does that split into two different dragons or is the two going to go into one? Like, how is that going to like play out? Like maybe the ones that are geographically closest, which would be Primordis and Kralkatoric respectively. Like maybe they're both going to like almost double their sphere of influence or something do we know like where, that. Do we know where Primordis is? Uh, I mean, somewhere mm-hmm. in the Maguma area. Cause he drove the Asura out from, out from, uh, the underground tunnel network. The, yeah, Primordis awoke like deep under where old Asura used to live. Right. So he's somewhere in the Krita Maguma jungle Depths. area. De- yeah, and that's where in Guild Wars One, that's where all of the like they were rising. You know, all the Primordis minions at the the destroyers well, were sort the of great, the great destroyer. And that's something that I thought was interesting. I should have said it earlier. You know, our fighting the Vinewrath is the modern version of what our Guild Wars One character were doing when they killed the Great Destroyer. Destroyer. Yeah. That's true. And I guess that's true that, like, I mean, the thing is that there's those underground networks, like, Primordis is deep in Tyria, and I'm fairly certain was, is under Kratomaguma, but then again, like you said... That's, like, where he was, that's where he was sleeping. He could have, I would, in fact, I would expect that he's moved. Perhaps. I mean, the dragons haven't moved too much, aside from Kralkatorik's, like, flying south once. Well, yeah, and, and Primordis is much smaller than the other dragons. Is he? I, yeah. I think... 
I think so. He's the smallest of the of the five that we know. Like smallest physically, we have no idea in terms of magical raw power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just just referring to his size, like it would be like he like it wouldn't exactly be covert, but he could but he could move around the most the most easily uh, un, un, with, underground, I suppose. Especially if he's ac- especially if he has access to the Asuran like gate system because they were sort of built on top of the power source. Well, they were yeah. built on top of the Great Destroyer, which was his uh, marshal, his, you know, lieutenant. And they, they were drawing a lot of power from that, and these didn't even realize it. Right, yeah. Yeah, and there's already a vast system of underground tunnels, both from the dwarves and the Asura, um, that he would have access to, and, and could potentially sort of pop up anywhere like Mordremoth sort of did, just by sprouting from everywhere. Um, so I mean, hey, maybe there's that. You know, maybe maybe now that if Mordremoth gets killed in you know however much time it takes us to do that, you know now now the underground root system has opened way for the next underground dragon to like take take up uh, you know threatened ownership. I don't know. And the wild magic, like some of it goes to Primordis, and is the other like bit because it's purple, purple again coming up, Crocosauric. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, because of the egg, like we, st- we still don't know what the hell is oh, going on exactly. with the egg. Yeah, also that, like, oh my god! Like, I think, like, I think that Kraukatoric, like, there's, like, this is this is just me spitballing, but I'm sure there's like some possibility that Kraukatoric is aware of that egg. Yeah. Oh, I, I will. I'm 100. If we look at Kraukatoric, just look at Glint, and Glint, you know, could see the future and had hard read minds. What does that bode? What, is, what can Kraukatoric do? Yeah, I've always thought of Kraukatoric as sort of the mesmer dragon. Yeah, yeah. Like not entirely, but and, and you know, especially with creating the like flying south to the crystals as creating the dragon brand. Uh, perhaps, perhaps Krakatorg is also the 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 dragon most likely to intervene in some other conflict. Yeah, could be, could be. Though I'm going to go with Shongaku's theory, and I think the reason that we have not seen Krakatorg do any more than he already has, I think Snaf is still inside his head. I do too. I honestly think that that was too juicy of a of a thing to like throw out that idea of Snaff sort of like mind melding and holding the dragon down for a while and leaving his body for that. Yeah, to I kind of think it's the only reason Krokotork hasn't you know killed everyone already. Yeah, either that or at least like Snaff returning someday in like maybe transferring his consciousness into a crystal or something. Mm-hmm. Into, or, or into a into a golem into a scruffy. Tinfoil <clears throat> um, <clears throat> hat. How great would that be? Yeah, holy crap! They've already hinted at it before with another. Asura yeah, one, one and of the Asura personal story arcs. Not oh. even the personal story, just the. It's not really a jumping puzzle, but like, um, I forgot her name. The lab in the Asura starting zone. Zoja. Oh, Zo- not Zoja. Um, um she was. You, you oh. met her in Guild Wars One. Right? Yeah, the, uh, the Golem answer. Uh. Ula? Oh my god. Ula. Ula. Yes, Ula. yes. Where she like makes the connection right. between necromancy and golemancy and she's her consciousness is basically in a golem now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Bam. Called it here on this day, January eighteenth, two thousand fifteen, when Snaff comes back in two years. <laughs> this is that time. <laughs> Oh, but my going gosh. back a little, um, commenting on you saying their ten year plan, I'm okay with that. I think that's really cool. But the only caveat, only I want to see, I hope we get more content in the two year periods than we have been, because and especially lore content, because it feels like, like I was saying at the beginning of the show, it's like if Anet was a restaurant, we've been getting crumbs and we finally got a meal. I don't want yeah. to go through that again. Yeah, like 
I'm I'm sure that I'm like I'm sure it's a challenge for them, but like if if every like would would I don't think would any I don't know if any fans would really be dissatisfied with the pace of season two if every if every episode had the same amount of things to talk about as this one did. Well, yeah, no kidding. Uh, and I mean, season two has been really good so far. Yeah, it, ha- it has. Yeah. So um, if they can keep it up, but it hasn't been that the whole time, like this whole two and what, six breaks. months or so. Yeah. Yeah. There Those has. breaks are rough. They're, yeah, they're hard. Mm-hmm. They're they're real hard. But I mean, I guess you know we'll I guess we'll talk about it next week when we find out what exactly they have to say at PAX because it's clear that they want to say something big. Like like we've already speculated sort of on on what we think they're going to talk about. But you know, I I agree with what you're saying, Robin, and I think I think that you know I think this PAX South shindig will hopefully sort of be our roadmap post if you will, that we had way I back in 2013. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think they can really use something like that. I mean, we've, we've been harping on their, on their, you know, communication policy of silence for quite a while now. So hopefully this Ever is, since you've been hosting the show or more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I hope that this is, I hope that this is their chance to, if not make it a permanent turnaround, at least make a big statement of some kind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I uh, I think we're all very excited to see what happens next weekend. And speaking of next weekend, the actual trailer that announces what is happening next weekend. Holy crap! Hmm? That trailer was amazing. Which trailer? The second one. Oh, the yeah. Se- oh, yeah. Oh, the second cousin. Yep. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we were sort of talking about that already with the Fallon thing. Well, well yeah, but... but just in general, it's pretty pretty amazing. <laughs> take it, take it away, Evie. Okay, first off, and this is, like, my biggest gripe with the whole situation of the speculation right now. How has no one noticed the jade? <laughs> Tell me about the jade. In which, in the second cutscene or in the first? It's all over the place. Well, it's not all over the place in the sense of, like, being all over the place, but it comes up <laughs> multiple times. Is it, is it uh, purple jade like, or green jade? No, it's green jade, and it's, like, always in the side or the corner, but it's there. Okay, so I'm going to play off this. So it, it, we looked like we had a Mersat there. I mean, that was definitely a Mersat. I would say so. I would say so. And remember the Mersat Or at least that's the both... only thing close to, like, there's there's nothing else in the Guild Wars universe that exactly. that would be, there's unless no, it's it, something yeah. that we don't know about. It, Which it, would be silly. It's it the could, Guild I mean, Wars 2 version of a Mersat. I mean, yeah. it very It's floating, is. it had the similar armor, it had the tendrils on its back that was yeah, doing the weird... True. Yeah, it, it, it could be a weird-looking seer, but probably not. The form, the thing with Sears is, at least the one we've seen, is one, they have four arms, and mm-hmm. Ainit is really good about making things that aren't supposed to be anatomically possible look like they're anatomically possible. <laughs> okay, but going back to the jade thing, if there's green jade, remember in Guild Wars 1, there were some jade constructs that were green that you were fighting that were Mursak constructs. I thought those were all purple. Nope, there was a few green there ones. There was a few green ones. Oh, well, there so, you go. The bows specifically, I believe. Oh, that's true. See, I'm looking through this. I'm not really seeing the jade. Uh, in the very first bit, when the city first comes up and it starts panning to the right, okay. there's jade in the left bottom. It's very subtle, but it's there. Gotcha. Well, I think the jade and Mursat connection, if nothing else, is already like pretty a pretty strong connection. Um... So, I mean, so yeah. all right. So I Google image search Jade Bow, 
Guild Wars Jade Bow, and uh, they are in fact purple, but they are they are rangers. So when you fight a boss Jade Bow, it has a it has the green boss aura. No, there were some that were, if I'm not mistaken, there were some that were actually made of green jade, and it may have only they may have only appeared in the War for Krita, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's a lot of be. there's a lot of ifs there, so don't don't. I was gonna say I'm pretty sure at least in prophecies they weren't, but I could definitely see in War and Krita. No, in War and Krita, I'm pretty sure there were some green ones. Yeah, that that definitely could be, um, especially after the after Cantha came out and we had green jade all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and... anyways, so that's that where you were going, Evie, or you got something spectacular? Um, well, there's another connection with the Mursat when it comes to green jady things, and that would be the Eye of Janthir. Uh huh. So, I really think that. We're going to see more tie-in from Janthir in general, which might mean we're going to be going north of Divinity's Reach. That'd be cool. I've always wanted to see the Isle of Janthir. Which would also mean involvement with the White Mantle, and, which they've been hinting at forever now. Yeah. That's true. There's been a lot of hints in in uh, Season 2. Yeah. And even in the human personal story, like the, like the quote-unquote bandit faction was like unreasonably mm-hmm. organized. There's no yeah. way it's just a bunch of bandits. Well, this could be a great tie-in for Countess Anise and Canuck. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Well, it's it's not just the bandits with the personal story, too. There's, like, if you wanted to meet your parents, you find out, like, all this stuff about the White Mantle and how they... It's it's all over the place mm-hmm. ever since launch. And there's even a, a spot on the eastern part of one of the Maguna maps in Guild Wars 2 where you can fi- fight uh, White Mantle ghosts. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just want to say this is sort of a tangent, but still, still related to do. future speculation. Like, I really want to see Malik's tree really bad. Like, I really want to see another tree, another pale tree, tree may or may tree. not be pale. No, it's Mirtha teal tree, and then there'll be a uh, a fuchsia tree. <laughs> yeah, I, I dig it. A fuchsia tree? Are you kidding me? Then, then that'll be the catalyst that like beefs up Mordrama or uh, uh, Kralkatoric. <laughs> Cut down the fuchsia tree, and then the fuchsia dragon gets stronger. What would be the like counter to the the pale tree? The, the bright con- tree, the uh, high contrast tree, the high contrast tree. <laughs> I mean, it could just be a dark tree for sticking with grim dark themes. Now I'm thinking about Space Marines. Yeah, well, Grimdark, of course, gets you into the Space Marine territory. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could have a very, like, a dark a dark wood, if you will. You know, like a, a I in, don't know. In Echovald, perhaps? Well, there yeah, but go. that was turned to stone. I mean, you know, I don't know. But anyway, uh, anybody else have any other any other extra thoughts on this? I want to hear more about, we, we touched on it a little bit, but I want to hear more about what you're saying about the new tech and Kay's face, because that was interesting. That grabbed me. That it's much more photorealistic, and I have a feeling, like, for them to do something like that, they're not going to only use it for one cutscene, no matter how important that cutscene is. Yeah, like, whatever whatever tech they had to do for that, probably, you know, facial motion capture, like, that's more of an investment than they're just going to use it for one shot in one cutscene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because that looks, like, it is so realistic, but still being painterly. And it, it's not even uncanny, it's just, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, like, just... Somehow the motion <sighs> of it makes, reminds me of, like, remember Mode 7? Okay, came out on the SNES. No. 
Um, you had it in what F Zero and Star Fox, I think, mm-hmm. where you'd have a two D plane kind of living on top of another two D plane, and something with the way she moves her head reminds me of that. The the, the motion. And I'm not trying to knock it at all because I think it's really awesome. There's something something reminiscent of it for me. I don't know why. It, it's it's the art style because it it's drawn very painterly. It's kind of hard to see the three D of it. Mm-hmm. And it just, that's why it's so reminiscent of it. Okay. <laughs> um, but back on to the, like, speculation of the cutscene. The Mersat, like, <laughs> we know from Guild Wars 1, supposedly, that there's only one Mersat left. Lazarus. Well, that's according to, okay, do we know there's only one left? Or, because Glint's prophecy was not so much, you know, true as to serve her own purposes, I think. So well, I don't think we even wiped them out. It, I, I agree. I, I mean, there could also be different just... factions of Mersat. Yes, exactly. that's what I was getting at. Yeah. The thing is, this is very obviously a single important Mersat mm-hmm. that is very powerful. Because he basically phased the city. Yeah, well... Or or she. Yeah. We, we don't know if it's male or female. We didn't get that angle. Maybe it has mm-hmm. boobs. <laughs> or maybe Mersat don't even have boobs. I don't even know. None or six. Yeah. In, in reference to the <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, anyway, Lazarus the Dire. You were going somewhere with that, Evie. So, I, I honestly think that if it, if they are hinting at Lazarus the Dire, that with a thing like we're going to need insight and all this, he's going to be the next Palo Ajoko. He's going to tell us bad jokes? No, he's going to tell us bad jokes. <laughs> he's gonna he was be... part of the bad jokes. That's true. Yeah, he's gonna be the like bad character that we're gonna have to accept. Deal with the devil. Deal with yeah. the devil. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, I see. Deal with the devil instead of the dragon. Yeah, yeah, and, I, could, and, I could see that. And and then and then in in doing so, we set him up to gain great power in some future story. <laughs> yeah, sure, of course. And then like the way the city sort of warps into the fiery dragon sword that's just like way too symbolic and all that whatnot so i'm starting this i'm calling it now the fiery dragon swords were created by mersad hmm. like, like the, the, like the original came, ones yes the sahathan and haven't we um, heard haven't we been told that they were created by the orients that it was a gift to the kings the the ones who left or and founded um ascalon we don't really know where the magic for them comes from, though. Yeah, but, I mean, since the gods were in Or, I like where you're going, but since the gods were in Or, and we know that they were uber-powerful things, I'd imagine that that's where the magic came from to make them. I don't see the tie-in to, uh, to the Mursat. Yeah, the, 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 the wiki says that the that Magdar was, uh, is a sort of Orian origin back yeah. when the gods were living in Ara. Yeah, but then again, the, uh, you know, the Lich was living in Ara when, you know, ba- bad stuff happened, TM. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, I mean... I yeah, so it's, yeah, so it's possible there's some convoluted connection there between the, Mer- the Mersat and Abaddon and Vizier Kilbron. Yeah. But there the might be something did come way, lo- way before um, Kilbron was even around, but yeah. Right, I'm just saying that, like, people, there were people that like interacted and lived in or that possibly could have come into contact with the Mersat like at or at the same time or beforehand. Uh 
at least historically. But anyway, that's we're we're getting into real tinfoil hat territory. I think yeah. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna round us out towards the end of the podcast here because we're already past two hours. So indeed. Um. All right. I think it's uh, time for cast cast. Opt. You're the guest. You get to do cast cast this time. Um. I haven't rehearsed. That's all right. <laughs> that's how we do it on relics. We don't rehearse anything. God. Uh. Stage fright. <laughs> It takes as much time as you need. It can be edited out. You can even... Yeah, you, I, it can be edited out. I won't do it, but I'll tell you that it can be. Um, <laughs> honestly, if you just say, welcome to Cast Cast, the Cast Cast that Cast Casts and Casts and Cast Casts, it's pretty close. Copy and paste <laughs> what you just said. Go. Welcome to Cast Cast about other casts and the podcast of the podcast within the cast, and Spirit does it way better than I do. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Cast Cast, the cast about... Uh, uh, yeah, see, I can't even say it anymore. Regardless, yeah, you, you, you did it, when you, you did it better when you weren't cast. trying. The cast about casts and the style of other casts within a podcast. This week on Cast Cast. Yeah, Take it away. That's, that's pretty close. That was uh, way better. This was all way better than me just doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, Opt gets to go to Pack South, so a giant yep. F you. Gloat, gloat, gloat. Yeah. Uh, the pictures. Yep. I think... If uh, if anything super exciting gets announced, I think we will probably try and uh, get a couple people that are going to PAX, because um, we know several between the guilds that are going. So we might try and do a post-PAX midweek interview type deal with you. So, yep, I should be I should be back from uh, I'll be back on the following Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, probably going to be midweek or so, just because everybody at PAX is not going to have either the facilities, interest, or time to do uh, any sort of <laughs> lengthy talk about, but uh, we'll keep and that po- in and mind. And possibly uh, PAX Plague uh, South Edition. Ugh, yeah. Um, let's see, I guess Duke Witherhart is hosting an in-game fiesta on EU for the stream watching. Uh, NA and EU are welcome in their team speak and will likely get uh, an NA group organized uh spirit says it tends to be more civil than the twitch stream even with loads of people um i'm sure spirit will put in links to all of that stuff um but i don't know them because i am a filthy casual (laughs) and And lastly there we have a shout out to the gw community specifically um someone who helped yes so i was uh, in the uh the jumping labyrinth as we mentioned and there's an awesome, you know, person running it, showing people, just being extremely helpful. Um, so shout out to Ivy and the ATM Guild. Um, also, we have the last thing is our own Koenig from Relics of Ore has done some awesome research. I don't even know how he did this, but there's a link, will be a link in the show notes to translating the Orion syllabary. So now we have, you know, we can read Orion because of him. That's really cool. So yeah, and props to Koenig. only like one thing in the game that is that yeah. has the Orion alphabet. Also, I'm sorry I cut out earlier. I literally just disconnected. Technical difficulties. <laughs> well, that's all right. We just went on without you. Um, yeah, interesting. Hm. Oh, yeah, link in the show notes. And thanks for uh, listening. And if you're still with us for this two and a half, three hour thing, thank you. <laughs> Fortunately, it's not quite three hours, but uh, yeah, I think without any further ado, I think we're gonna just sign off unless anybody else had anything extra to say. No, that's about it. If uh, well, I guess I'll add if um, if you are listening to this and you are and I and I know you, or if I don't, um, and you're going to pack south, uh, let me know. You, there you go. You can find me on Twitter at Mister X. That's uh, M R underscore E X, and do uh, do get in touch with me. 
there you go. Um, thanks for joining us, Opt, and we will talk to you all guys in uh, a week. Hopefully with an expansion announcement. Ooh. <laughs> One would hope. That was another episode of Relics of War. If you'd like to get involved, you can find us on any social networking site such as Facebook, Twitter, Steam, and many more just by looking up Relics of War. That's Relics of O-R-R. Similarly, if you'd like to send us mail, you can send that to relicsoforr at gmail.com or go to our website, relicsofor.com, where you can record right there on the front page using our WordPress widget. Just put on a headset and give us your feedback. Or if you feel more comfortable with it, you can go ahead and just record the audio and send it to us as an OGG or an MP3 file. If you'd like to join us in-game, send a whisper to Cole, C-O-E-H-L, and Nexi, A-N-E-K-S-I, see squirrel run that's a c and then squirrel and then run or spirit face to get in contact with us or join the guild last we always love the comments so if you want to go to our main site and start commenting on some of the posts that we've got or join our forums you can have fun with that if you listen to us on itunes you can find our page on the market and just leave a comment or a rating that you feel that we deserve we appreciate that we'll read them on the show